Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture podcast broadcast from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney, and we're back with another episode, and it's episode 99. Guys, we're approaching episode 100. Now, what I mean by that, when I say guys, I'm not talking to myself. I obviously have guests with me because I've only done one solo show, and I think it was kind of bad on my part because it's just me rambling for 30 minutes. I was just sitting here by myself, uh, talking to myself. That's that's chaos theory. Like right now. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> and of course, the of course, you know what? Dakota, you're the always, always the one that interrupts me. Like you're like whatever I'm going on trying to do an intro here. Dakota is the patient one. Like usually, no, you interrupt my train of thought and say something. Hi, Dakota. How you doing? Eh. Wow. What? What? You know, and and you know, at least at least Nikki's bringing the energy to the table there. What you got? Nothing. You're five foot nothing, a hundred and nothing, and you busted your ass and you made it to the greatest football team in the, the uh, college in the land. I'm fucking up the Rudy speech. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm really glad we don't video record these. <laughs> I was contemplating him doing that once. Like, yeah, it's like it's starting just to have Facebook one video Live. one, yeah. Facebook Live or Twitch or something yeah. like that. I, I, I mean. Then I'd have to really have to, like, all right, all right, really have to stop looking like a bum. Live and, and, Instagram feed. Let's do it. Well, you, said, you got your phone? Do it. Yeah, I was going to say, you're the one <laughs> the best phone here, so, and you're the one who volunteered the idea, so I think it would be good. No. Anyway, enough of our rambling. As you tell from the title, we'll talk about our top 15 favorite movies countdown, going from 15 to 1. Slow it down. So let's jump into that right now. <laughs> So, Nikki, since yeah. Dakota always starts everything, I'll have you have the honest, and you mm. start with the number 15, because how we're doing it, we're going from 15 to 1, so what is your 15th favorite movie, Just and why? Full disclosure, I probably numbered these all wrong, and I'm going to well, regret kind of the fifth. entire list, but whatever. I mean, are you, do you have a problem with the numbers 15 to 1? Like, yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't like the structure you gave me. <laughs> That's what you get. You got sass back because that's what you asked for. Anyway, so number 15, um, I went with the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Really? Yeah, that is my number 15. And it's funny because when I first saw it, I I definitely didn't take to it right away. It's something that's grown on me. And I do wish that uh, we were born a little earlier so we could have done all that. But I have gone and seen, like, live performances of it. And it's just a good time. And I, I completely understand the cult following. And those songs are catchy as fuck. And one of my customers just brought me a Tim Curry chocolate stout. And I cannot wait to crack it open. So, yes, number 15 is the Rocky Horror Picture Show for me. Mm. I'm just a sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania. <laughs> I still have yet to see it. Really? Yeah, I, I, know. Haven't, I haven't seen it either. Oh my god! I know. I understand what you know. She's not a big cult movie fan, but I know I. It's one of those things like I'm kind of embarrassed to. Up? 
I, I guess, I, y'all are going to be the virgin? No, 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 no. I'll watch before I go. I'm not going to be the no, fucking virgin going to a live event. because you never went to a live show. It Shit. still counts. Yeah, I'm not big. To be honest with you, I'm not big into like the 70s, 80s musicals. I'm just not because I haven't seen uh, Little Shops of Horrors either. I love. I and Phantom like of the Paradise. Shop, uh, yeah, but I don't, I don't love Little Shops of Horror. But, uh. Um, my, <laughs> my coworker's name is Janet. So every once in a while, I'm like, damn it, Janet. Janet? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, I know, and be Seymour. But, yeah, you know, a big, ba- big bad mother from outer space. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> of course, it, it is a podcast with Dakota and I on, so uh, we start singing. Which uh, I, I can't really, I can't really knock that just you being there because, uh, uh, spoilers, uh, or at least peek behind the curtain, we're recording this actually a few weeks in advance before this drops. <gasps> Yeah, because both y'all are leaving uh, leaving me for a little bit, so... Um, it makes it sound so, like, dramatic. We're just going on vacation. <laughs> yeah, no, that's... that's leaving that's here and never He's going to go on vacation, and we're going to make it, like, you're leaving us? We should throw him a going-away party when he goes on vacation. <laughs> you know, I, I, will, I, will, I, will, I will relish it if you do that, if you're going to be like we'll that. dress it all black. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, I'm not going to a fucking funeral! <laughs> but the point I'm making, too, is, like... I recorded episode 95 I mean, when it was our countdown of our favorite comic book movie directors, and Batman Forever came up a few times, so what do you think I started singing on on the mic? <laughs> no, I was singing uh, Kiss from a Rose a little bit, uh, and I embarrassed myself. I, I, for some reason, I thought you were, uh, I, Mr. Snowman. That was from Batman and Robin. Damn it. But anyway, you're 15, Dakota. Uh, well, one, I, Nikki, I call dibs on uh, being Tim's uh, eulogizer. Eulogizer. <laughs> eulogizer, you know, no, he's a one, who re- now. one who reads eulogies. <laughs> that's both, that's both. <laughs> that's still a quote we put out there. That's a philosophizer. Go on. All right, so I, I going into this, my top 15, like I thought it was, oh, this is awesome. My top 15 is so unique. Tim and Nikki would never know that I'm reading back to it. I'm going like, fuck, I'm such a basic bitch when it comes to my top 15. You said not me. Yeah, well. I'm not I afraid to admit it. Too. I don't. I don't have a bad bitch reputation to uphold here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dakota, you are as vanilla as vanilla gets. I thought he was going to say you are as vanilla as vanilla ice. <laughs> you are wider. <laughs> you are wider than. <laughs> it's different, man. It's different. You are wider than white rice on a paper plate in the middle of a snowstorm with a gl- uh, with a glass of milk. Dance with the devil. In the pale moonlight. I always ask oh, my friend. Oh, I didn't have that on my list. No. And he was like, oh, if I didn't think about it my first time, it doesn't count. Uh, it does. Damn it. No. Okay, anyway, continue. I guess that's a number 16 honorable mention. <laughs> well, you haven't gotten to your first uh, actually on the list. Okay, number 15. I don't know if you'll, you uh, you would, guys would have guessed this, but Bridge of Spies. Really? Yeah, directly. I really enjoyed it that much. I enjoyed it tremendously. I it obviously came out in 2015. I watched it uh, Oscar season 2016 because it's like, okay, like how good is this movie? My my mom, dad, and I well, got it on Blu-ray. We watched it, and I was like, oh my god, this movie is amazing. I've never seen it. Oh, it's one of Spielberg's. Uh, it's one of Spielberg's best movies, and the performances he gets out uh, of Tom Hanks and uh, Mark Rylance. Wait, what? Mark Rylance. Yes, okay. I was looking at IMDb trying to find his name. Yeah, he's actually higher listed than Tom Hanks is on this page. Well, I, I think because he won, maybe he won One, the Oscar. Two, Grand three, Lake four, five people are above Tom Hanks on this list. Is it in uh, – it's probably in order of appearance. 
you are probably correct. Boom. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, Mark Rylance and Tom Hanks. And I was really hoping that Oscar season that um, – I mean, Mark Rylance was up for Best Supporting Actor, but so was Sylvester Stallone for his Creed. Movie, for Creed. But then I saw Mark, uh, Mark Rylance in this performance. I was like, Sylvester Stallone's not getting it because Mark Rylance was amazing in this movie. And this movie was so well acted. It's not – It's I can see a lot of people having problems with it like for our age group because it's not – there's no there's hardly any action in it. Mm. The most action is in the middle – where where Tom Hanks witnesses people trying to get over the Berlin Wall and getting shot down. Right. But it's such a, a like you get like oh my god is Tom Hanks going to pull this off? Yeah. Is he going to pull off? And at the very end you're going like yes he pulls it off and then you feel bad for Mark Rylance's character because he you you believe that he's going to get killed. Yes. And it's like oh, but no I enjoyed this movie thoroughly and it, yeah I I really want, didn't expect it to make my top fifteen list but I I. Yeah, I, there was. Uh, I would watch it again over some of the other ones I've thought of. It's funny because um, I didn't enjoy. Like I, I didn't finish the BFG, and I don't think it's Mark Rylance's fault because I just, I just don't think I, I probably wasn't in the right mood, and I probably should just, I should probably sit down and watch it again. However, Rylance in obviously Dunkirk, he was fantastic, in, but also specifically Ready Player One. Which I thought was like, cause I've not read the book yet. I'm going to. Yeah, I still have five hours left in the audiobook. I haven't seen the movie audiobook. yet. Um, but the, I loved him in the movie, and I know a little peek behind. Like, well, kind of, we're going to be talking about Ready Player One on the show soon, hopefully. And I know Nikki, you said you enjoyed his performance specifically in relation to the book. Mm, yeah, that's. I mean, the book itself is better. And if you have read the book. There is, and I did everything in my power to make sure I would not be disappointed, um, and I still was a little let down. But overall, I think they did a really amazing job, and it was a really, really cool uh, adaptation. Mm. Nice, nice, nice. So, Tim, what's your t- number fifteen movie? Uh, my number fifteen is the The Matrix <gasps> by the uh, Wachowski siblings, Shit. released in 19- Judy. 1999. <laughs> <sighs> Summed up the movie in three words. <laughs> Sorry. I've never seen the whole thing. What? Fuck out of here. <laughs> God. Oh, uh, yeah. This is why my list how is did you not, ridiculous. How I don't did, know. I just never, I never, I did the backbend thing with everybody. And other than that, I just never sat down and watched uh, it. Maybe like seeing, it's kind of like one of those things where you, in pop culture, being so reverent of a property and once you see like oh i remember this moment in this movie or i remember this moment in that show because so much of the because the matrix being such a pop culture phenomenon for a couple of years i could see why like going back to see it might be kind of quaint in today's standards but i still think it works and the reason why it's in my top 15 because it's one of those movies i watched over and over when it first came out on vhs and it changed my way of film, like ideas for filmmaking. It introduced me to before I became a John Woo fan. It introduced me to characters diving through the air with two Berettas in hand, and um, uh, all the kind of action sequences, the the uh, slow motion gunfights and everything. The uh, before I got like the fight choreographer, also the fight choreographer for my favorite kung fu movie, Fist of Legend, with Jet Li. The, I, my first introduction to that kind of fighting was done here. And the ideas of science fiction and identity, and the movie ends on hope, and it is free will versus destiny, and it's something that I that I find, it's something that's kind of defined me. It is kind of hampered by the fact that the two sequels are no, do not hold up to the same standard. There are great moments in it, but I still think the first Matrix is fantastic. 
and I, I really want to revisit it now. And I know, like, I, I, yeah, I'm totally with you. I, I mean, The Matrix didn't make my top 15 list, but it is on the honorable mentions because it does have that great impact. And it's such a great movie, um, in just movie history wise, because it was such a like a new take on the action movie. Yeah, and, but the problem is that it was so unique that everyone mimicked it for a long. For, still today, there's you could take elements of the Matrix and put it in like some action movies today, right? And then obviously other everyone parodied a lot of the stuff from the yeah. Matrix. Yeah, and if, like obviously like the, the three words to describe the movie, it's obviously almost like a running joke. And it, when it comes to relations to the movie, and I know like the, the Wachowski siblings took a lot from like westerns and science fiction, especially like Ghost in the Shell was a heavy influence on it. Yeah. You can totally tell. And it was another thing when we watched the Ghost in the Shell the, the animated movie. Sure, we have our issues with it, but we can definitely tell. Like, oh, we see where, you, yeah, you see where the the where they get a lot of these ideas from, right? Like the dark, gritty world, the half the machinery and everything like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ghost in the Ghost in the Shell, going on a separate tangent, is a very influential movie, and you could see that in video games and, and movies today of what of certain elements. Yeah. That. Totally, and that's why it's my number 15. I mean, hell, it even got me into karate class for a little bit because of The Matrix, because I wanted to, I wanted to learn Kung Fu. I know Kung Fu. Yeah, it sure. didn't last long. So, before I, before I embarrass myself any further, uh, Nikki, you're number 14. My number 14 is Singing in the Rain. Singing in, in the Rain. I'm singing in the rain. Wow. It's Singing in the Rain, Singing in the Rain. It's such a wonderful feeling. I'm happy again. It's not that hard to sing, Tim. It's but not. Actually, there's also other songs in there that are really, Some, really awesome. Yes. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's wonderful to stay up late. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. Do you? I probably never would have seen had it not been all of my film studies classes. Um, but it's one of my favorite musicals. I really, really, really enjoy it. Um, and you really can't go wrong with a Gene Kelly movie. No, I mean, I mean, obviously, I'm pretty sure there's a Gene Kelly movie on your list, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> That's my oh my god! It sounded like you had a cat back here. <laughs> and like, <laughs> chair fitness workout appetite. <laughs> anyway, I worked so out perfectly. In the rain. <laughs> <laughs> wow, such a subtle transition right there. I mean, it's like that meme of like jerking off the highway. Like that—that's how subtle that was right there. And when you saw it, like you said, it was in college when you saw it, right? So, um. I'm 95% sure it was one of my first film classes, and then I saw it again when I took my musical film class. Um, and I, it's just one of those, it makes me happy to watch. And I like that it also has this element of um, kind of an insight into the industry, and I really enjoyed just um, just the message it sends, um, and how, like, at the end of the day, authenticity is better, and it's just, it's a really, really, really cool movie, and I really enjoy it. I, I it would... Sorry to cut off. Like I, I can see like as like I'm just building a like a double and triple feature in my head. Like it'd be, it would be singing in the rain, Sunset Boulevard, because it'd be the flip side of that of the change of him sound. Yeah, the dark. The too. And even the artist, I could probably you could probably throw that in there if you, you know, want to. You know, I have to. not seen the artist. You have fine. Yeah. But like it's, it's, on, it's, it's all on about the list to watch. Yeah. With like everything else in the world. Yeah. I mean, watch. I'm gonna watch Blue Bloods and Law and Order <laughs> later, but I'm not. <laughs> Yeah, I was actually my mom introduced Singing in the Rain to me when I was really young. I mean that I mean she would my mom would also wake us up early and like at seven AM 
like sing at the top of her lungs good morning so i know that song inside and that's out that's kind of funny i guess like did your parents do it because my dad was with um i feel pretty from west side oh story God. and it's always really funny to me because my dad's got this element of homophobia and he's singing a song from, West, from a musical, yeah. particularly one I feel so pretty, witty, and gay. Yeah. I always think that's so funny, but that's literally, like, and now he'll be like, oh, hey, you look good. And I'm like, I know. And it's like we have this confidence that's because just... he used to fucking walk around singing, I feel pretty. <laughs> so you got woken up by good That and, and also <laughs> the uh, the start to the first, I don't know the first song uh, from Oklahoma, but the, uh, oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what like a beautiful day. She tried to culture us so well. I mean, I I think it it does work. And if whenever I do have kids, I'm going to probably try to snaps for your mom. (laughs) That's three snaps in a circle. Oh my god! Wow! Do it again. I want a boomerang. Uh, no, <laughs> it comes back around. Well, oh, while she gets to sit up. Another um, thing my mom cultured us in, the, um, in Living Color. Really? That's where that comes from. It is! Holy yeah, with shit! The Wayne, with the Wayne brothers. That, yes, that, it is. That's three snaps in a Z formation. Wait, I didn't have it ready. Can I use it one more time, one more time. Z... <laughs> Say that Wayne's all I'm about to send. Uh, uh, Can I put it up now and put it up again? Yeah, yeah by all means. But wait, I saved it already, but I'm okay. sending it to your brother, too. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh my God. Because I don't have Snapchat, so you're not going to send You have to send the video itself. To oh, me. it's on um, Instagram. Oh, okay. It's, got it's it. on Insta. All right, all right, all right. So, uh, you're 14. Okay. okay. So, keeping in the 1950s and kind of keeping it cultural, or uh, more cultured, I don't know, uh, comes one of the, probably one of the best, better Westerns of all time, Rio Bravo. Ooh. I love Rio Bravo. And to be honest with you, I didn't see this movie until freshman or sophomore year of college mm-hmm. when I was just kind of sitting by myself in my room hating life. And I was really into Westerns much, for some reason. Not much has changed. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks a lot. But, uh, yeah, Rio Bravo with John Wayne. Uh, you also had Dean Martin. Martin, Ricky Nelson, and the gorgeous Angie Dickinson. Yes. Oh, my God. God, she I'm like was a little hot. uncomfortable the way he said the gorgeous. Are you kidding me? I mean, <laughs> Zach said you do that too well. <laughs> <laughs> we lost. Your heart. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you. Um, the gorgeous. The gorgeous. <laughs> she was just fabulous. <laughs> These aren't spirit fingers. These are spirit fingers. Oh man, I think I lost my contact. Oh no. I see what you mean. Oh, you did. No, like, I oh, shit. <laughs> I left my contact out of my eyeball. That is the quote of the night right there. <laughs> Well, by the well, so yeah, um, written by co- uh, written by Lee Brackett, who would go on to influence. Say she was she was one of the first writers on Empire Strikes Back. We really? Brought, yeah, I didn't know that. She was the first draft before she passed away. Oh, 
That yeah. sucks. I'm pretty sure it's a she. I'm pretty sure it's a Lee. Well, female. let me click uh, on her. Yeah, I was say. Fat checker. Yeah. We should come up with like a like old school like uh, theme thing. For, for me yeah. dropping one. It is yeah. a it is a she. Howard Hawks thought Leah uh, Leah Brackett was a good writer because according to him, she wrote like a man. Oh yeah, I mean like Howard Hawks was a man's man back in the day, yeah. and Rio Bravo was one of the epitomes of that. Yeah, and I, the only thing I Empire, had to... Rio Bravo, The Big Sleep, and Hatari. Big Sleep, um, fuck. That's Raymond Chandler, I believe, who wrote the book The Big Sleep. That's Humphrey Bogart. He was looking at you, kid. Wrong movie, but uh, close. I, I prefer Maltese Falcon, by the way. I'm going to be that contentious. I'm a Casablanca fan myself. I love Casablanca. I know. Uh, to be honest, I never. I, I'm not too familiar with a lot of Bogart movies. Play it again, Sam. But anyway, yeah, there's real problem going on here. I, this is this is a outrageous to me. Here's just chips, sir. Oh, thank you very much. But <laughs> real, real Bravo, a lot of memorable characters. Dean Martin was exceptional in this movie. Yeah, uh, playing the alcoholic because you really believed it. Uh, the kid who played Colorado, 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 Ricky uh, Nelson, the heartthrob at the time. Yeah, he was awesome. And yeah. then John Wayne being John Wayne. Yeah, yeah. And then obviously Andy Dickinson, I just fell in love with. So. Just my rifle, my pony, and me. I cannot sing, uh, but I love that. Because, of course, it, you have two singers in the movie. You're not going to have – you're going to have a break where have, we have the two singers um, duet with each other. No, of course you're going to have to do that. And then – But it's going to be funny because Rio Bravo was in response to a bigger, another big Western hit. Uh, yeah. Uh, high Noon. Yeah. And that was John Wayne's thing, like, no, sh- proper sheriff should never be, like... Ask for help and yeah. everything. So it, it's kind of going to be funny because we're going to talk about High Noon. High Noon's going to be... When you said Gene Kelly, I'm like, oh, I know there's a Gene Kelly movie on your list, that's for sure. Yeah, so... Anyway. Uh, it's funny that I got a John Wayne one. Really? Really? I, I do have a Western on mine. I don't have a John Wayne movie. All right, Tim, what's your number 14? Uh, my number 14 is 2006 The Prestige. Christopher Nolan's The Prestige. It is my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. I think it's his best movie because I, I think it is, like... It, the movie itself, obviously, it's about magic. I think the, And I think the whole process of making of it, I think of it as a magic trick. Uh, I love Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale's performance. The cinematography of Robert Ellsworth... Uh, not Robert Ellsworth. Uh, Wally Pfister, my... Excuse me. Robert Ellsworth is, is P.T. Anderson's uh, usual uh, photographer. Um, the score, I really, I really enjoy. I mean, it has one of my favorite performances from David Bowie as Tesla mm, in there. Bowie! And Andy Serkis as his assistant with a very over-the-top New York accent. I mean, that was Andy Serkis? Yeah, he's the assistant in that. Holy crap! And because uh, just our friend Justin and I, uh, we always make fun of his accent in that because he's like, "You're the great Danton." Uh, I saw your show four times when I was in New York, and just being so old-timey in his accent. Um, the twist of it, the the the, the dual narrative of like the, both journals going back and forth, and we find that they're playing tricks on each other, and. It's epitome of, I think, what Nolan does as a filmmaker itself. Everything is about his thought process and approach to storytelling is encapsulated in that because he thinks of movies can be a magic trick. Movies can be an uh, experience. Mm-hmm. And it's something that he's been doing ever since The Dark Knight that he's been trying to make every making making movies so people would have to leave their house to go to the theater. That's why he's shooting on such large formats. That's why he wanted to see it on the biggest screen possible. And he's trying to be like a, not I don't want to say a pioneer, but just like something fighting for the cause of like 
the movie theater experiences. Yeah. I really appreciate that. And I, the prestige I can watch over and over again, but I'll stop talking. So yeah, no, I, 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 in the same time, about the same time I watched Rio Bravo, I did watch the prestige as, as well. Really? Yeah. Like I said, I had no life. I was miserable in college for my freshman year, at least. Right. Um, but yeah, no, if only I, you knew Italian back then. If only you knew. Yeah. Yeah. Missed opportunity, but yeah, I, I I liked I liked Prestige. I can't say I loved it, but I liked it. I I liked it too. The first time I watched it, I definitely didn't like. I saw it in theater and did not enjoy it. I remember very vividly not enjoying it. And there was another movie that came out around the same time. Illusionist. There yeah. we go. And I that's and I think too it was because I was more salty that there were two movies that are almost exactly. This is the third one actually at the same time. Something I think, else. Really? I think, I think there was a Woody Allen uh, magician movie at the same time. Yeah, that just and it's like it was like oh I don't really. And then uh, watching it again years later, I was like wait a minute, this is actually an excellent. Film. I think once I got over that bias, um, I enjoyed it a lot more. And it, it's, it's extremely well acted and such yeah. a good cast. So, um, yeah, I think I was just too harsh for no good reason on that one. It, it, it became like kind of a shorthand between my friends Justin uh, and Larry and I because we would always quote it like whenever somebody would do something stupid and, and they attempt to like look cool or try and be smooth or anything like that and you, you fuck up, like... Do take it easy on the boy. He does try so very hard. Or then when you say you don't know, you always have to scream like huge Evan, like you don't know. Like how? Which not? You didn't know he tied because we're losers like that. Anyway, <laughs> you're number thirteen. Uh, is it my turn for number thirteen. Yes. Yeah. Funny enough, here's my western. It is Stagecoach, 1939, John Ford. Huh. Um, so this one, film class. Um, one of my first projects. Uh, it was supposed to be a team effort. That kid let me down. But I fucking nailed it. I blew it out of the park, and I had to watch this movie so many times. And at first, I was like, great, I got Stagecoach. Like, awesome. I'm stuck with a stupid Western. I never, ever appreciated the style until I watched this. It completely changed it because it played on all of those tropes. It's like, oh, here's, you know, the damsel in distress, and here's this one, and here's the, you know, the uptight prude, and here's, you know, the outlaw. And it's and then they just flip them all on their head um and it's like oh well you know you thought she was bitch but really she was just pregnant and she's in the wild wild west and it's freaking the fuck out so i think there was just a a deeper level than i had never i have never seen that i haven't seen in a western previously to that i enjoy stagecoast it's been a while since i've seen it but like if i was going to be honest with my favorite john ford movie it's the searchers see and i like the searchers saw it after but I like I've seen The Searchers. I really like that movie. I have not seen Stagecoach, which is something I probably should fix. I, I think it's the fact because, like, Searchers, I mean, John Wayne's the villain for the third act, pretty much. That, like, what, yeah. like, what he's willing to do. Like, well, you think he's going to kill his niece because she's been indoctrinated as a Comanche because she's been almost like Stockholm Syndrome for so long being with them. Yeah. And... It, it, I think the ending of that movie is terrible. I know we were talking about Stagecoach where you well, the searchers. Now, it, now he looks like the villain. Back then, back when first Stagecoach probably came out, he was the hero through searchers. and through. Searchers. searchers sorry. Yeah. yeah. That's um, what I meant. Sorry. I was just because Stagecoach yeah, stage is searchers, Yeah, I mean. But I really need to rewatch it now. What's the time difference on it? It's like only a year. So right? That was stage 20 years. Stagecoach came out. Yeah, I think was it. Because I think it was in the 50s when it came out. Really? Searchers. So 1939 was... So 15 years. 1956, the searchers came wow. out. So I mean, yeah, yeah, because because Wayne like, is so young in stage. 15 yeah, years. That's true. I guess they're just gonna. Marion. Um, I can't remember his last name. 
Marion, uh, John Wayne's real last name. Oh, uh, let's see if I can find it on IMDb. But, so, I, I guess, like, now you got me in a kind of a Western mood now because we're talking about all Westerns <laughs> right now. So, damn. I, I do mean, have, yeah, because it's, it's very rare. I mean, uh, Morrison. Marion Mitchell Morrison is his real name. Wow, alliteration right there. Yeah. So. Marion Robert Morrison. Wait up. Who's wrong? Uh, IMDb says Marion Robert Morrison. I don't know where I got that from. Google. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, regardless. Um, Marion Morrison. Is, yeah. Marion Morrison. Um, any final thoughts on Stagecoach? Mm, that's pretty much it. All your cool. Dakota. 13. Lucky number 13. Well... This is a movie you actually introduced me to. One of many, actually. Um, but I fell in love with it, and it's been it's one of your t- one of your top five movies of all time. Terminator Two. <laughs> I loved Terminator 2. Obviously, uh, obviously directed by James Cameron, starring starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I never saw Terminator before seeing this, and I still loved it. Mm-hmm. And then, I, then after this, I did watch Terminator, and then a lot of other things made sense. But this movie, start to finish, was amazing and kind of comical at times because of all the product placement, the uh, uh, like the well, Clark, egregious product. Clarko was known for that, and like. They made their money back on the budget of that movie before the movie even hit theaters. Because of the product placement. And product placement and pre-sales. I mean, just, just even like the uh, opening scene in the bar. Oh, yeah. Bloodwise. Uh, just everything's there. Yeah. <laughs> Harley Davidson for all the motorcycles and everything. Yeah. No, it was so, I mean, obviously way better than Termin- the first Terminator. Terminator was good. Terminator 2 was excellent. Yeah, I, I mean. I, I, obviously the technology. The, and le- the budget and the, is taken yeah. into account. I mean. A lot of people argue what is Cameron's best movie. Some people, it always comes down to either T2 or Aliens. Because you think of Aliens, uh, that was done on a, I think, $18 million budget in 1986. And then you see T2, which is like a $95 million budget in, nine, in 91. Budget was, uh, for Terminator 2, $102 million estimated. A- uh, no, that's Aliens. No, I don't want Aliens. Aliens was like, yeah, but so you think about, like, what was he able to accomplish more, and, like, which is more impressive between the two of them, and, and like, which is the better story, et cetera, et cetera. But you were saying yeah. that your favorite. Alien was uh, 11 million. So, 10. The first Alien was 11 million. Yeah. Were, were I was talking about Aliens. Oh, damn. Because really, Scott did Alien. Sorry. It's okay. Aliens. Get was like, your shit together, sorry. Dakota. Yeah. <laughs> you mean two of the best sequels back to back. That's why I'm like. Eight. Eighteen and a half. So it was still five times more for Terminator Two. Yeah. So and you think what's the more impressive feat between the two of them and ever, et cetera? But you were saying you there were was about- a really good puppet in, Term- in Aliens, but yeah, no, but still Terminator Two, start to finish, was a very, very, very good movie. Um, and I think Arnold was great as a ro- as a robot as an assassination droid. And, uh, I was sneezing, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. I thought you were laughing, so I'm like, like No, I'm like, no, like, I was trying not to sneeze into the mic and just hit my head on it instead. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't know what else to say other than it, it's just a fun movie, and I, I do love it. And if you say, hey, I remember watching Terminator 2 tonight, I'll be like, okay. 
I'm down. I'm not ready to talk about this movie yet, so. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so. Uh, Sorry to ruin everything. You usually do. Um, <laughs> so moving on to my number 13, uh, it is Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. Is this the trilogy that you were going to do the trilogy and decided to? Yeah, because I, I, I think it would have been cheap if I chose the whole trilogy. Granted, they were shot together and they were meant to be like one large story. Um, because I love all three movies, but I think Fellowship of the Ring, I, I fell in love with the most. Um, I think it's because of the time when I saw it, and of course it came out in 2001, and how I first saw it, it was when, it's the summer of 2002, my family and I are down in Ocean City, Maryland, which used to be our usual thing that we do, my mom was a huge Lord of the Rings fan when she was in college, like she had a big map of Middle Earth on a wall, and we're in a supermarket getting the supplies to the apartment for a week, and it was VHS's was old there, and it's like, oh, I'm like, I saw it commercial for this i think i want to see it and my mom just picked it up and i just watched that on repeat the entire like whenever we were not at the beach or going out on the boardwalk i was watching lord of the rings fellowship of the ring and it's and i think it's the, the, the of the three it has the least amount i guess you can argue the least most obvious cgi because like as two towers obviously you need a lot of cgi especially return of the king you need a lot especially the pelinor fields battle and the armies of the the black gate but I feel like this is the most tactile. This, I mean, I love the Shire. I mean, if there's one mythical place in pop culture where I would live, it would be the Shire. I know that needs to have to be a farmer, which I don't know if I'm. I have the constitution to do, but I would try it. Um, if but you had it, no choice. You would. Well, yeah, and it's one of the reasons why I, I guess I put so much stock into friendships to bat, like kind of help balance myself out. It's the scene when Sam despite not being able to swim, tries to swim after Frodo because he doesn't want him to go off by himself. And he has that, like, after Frodo saves him from nearly drowning, like, I made a promise, Mr. Frodo, a promise that I would never leave you no matter what. And it's their camaraderie that, that I've, that I really just, um, I find an affinity for and something I just um, hope for and, and everything. That, and that's what I try and do with all my friendships. And so, um, I know, Easy joke to make. Oh, oh they gave for each other. Even if they are, whatever. Like it, it doesn't matter. Life. Exactly. And this Howard Shore's score is is amazing. And I can't. I, it took the longest time to realize that Gimli was played by the same actor who plays Sala. And I and like I realized the voice is the same. Like that makes sense. And yeah, I guess I'll stop talking. Yeah. You guys not still talking I about? Like, no, keep going. Uh, what do you think? Um, <laughs> Uh, it's higher a uh, valley of rage of rocks, and after that, it gets even better. I'll stop. Uh, <laughs> uh, Sean Bean's death, Sean Bean dying again. I'll take a drink for that. Um, yeah, so I, that's why it's my favorite of this trilogy. Okay. I'll have more information on the rest of the trilogy soon. Wow. I won't, because <laughs> I haven't read the books and won't watch movies till I have oh, come on. Oh, I'm sorry. I spoiled part of the movie for you. No, it's kind of checked out. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody listens to you, Tim. No, people listen. Apparently, we have listeners. We do this every podcast. Yeah, I know. I, I, I mean, our my friend Justin, who's our biggest supporter, like he's he was. I recorded with him last night. He's listened to every episode of the show really? at least once. Wow. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he'll get a kick out of that. Um, so, you're number twelve, Nikki. <laughs> My number 12 is Forrest Gump. Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to I think get. it's one of the most quotable movies. I, oh, you're uh, talking? I'm sorry. I didn't know. I was, I was checking out there. Lieutenant Dan. Lieutenant Dan ice cream. 
Um, I also, I feel like every time it's on TV, I can pick it up, and I, I just love how they were Pick up the TV? Uh, yeah, I do. I pick up the TV. <laughs> I've been doing squats. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> anyway. The boy in Vietnam. Yeah, the boy in Vietnam. <laughs> I'm just saying, um, I, th- I think it's awesome they were able to uh, piece together a uh, fictional story in real life world events. I, I lost it there. I don't know where I'm going. No, I love this movie. Thank I, you. I, I, <laughs> I'm anyway, like, no, I'm going gonna, gonna, to... I was going to like, let's see how far she buries herself. I'm going to be like, that guy. Somebody no, I love. I do love this movie. I can't watch it when it's on TV. The commercials and what they cut out. I mean, it's like 17,000 hours, too. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, it's... I mean, thinking back, I remember this movie as being like a three-hour movie. It's only two hours and 20 it minutes. Feels it, it feels long. It feels long. It, but... I think, that's, I think the movie flies for me. Really? Yeah. Oh, it. it I, like, I, I don't. I won't say. Now? I won't say it drags, but it does it take its time. time. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's not. I won't say like physical, but it's not like. Like uh, when I did review for Goodfellas on the other podcast page, Rewind, that movie is like. It, like as soon as the movie starts, it's, it is ninety miles an hour until the very end, and so and like I, it's the thing with Scorsese movies, like he can make long movies and they fly by. I think JFK is the same way. It's a it's a weird magic trick that they can do. They make long movies and yet seem very short. Uh, just real quick, actually, the other day I was listening to ESPN Radio and somehow Forrest Gump comes up, mm-hmm. and the conversation was, how, "Is Jenny a horrible person? Oh, she is, God. and uh, Forrest will die of AIDS because of her." It's not even that. She kind of uses... I mean, yeah. But that's also the, the time period. People people fucking shit on Jenny, but you have to think about... That girl had a fucked up life. A fucked up life. She did, but she definitely she definitely fucked with Forrest, though. Yeah, but... How do you hide a child for 12 years? But that's the whole thing, too. Like, Forrest is... Is Forrest... How, how do I put this in? Forrest is special. Like, well, he's special. So... Think about how hard, how many people have children by someone they hooked up with and then never told them for whatever reason it was. This happens a lot. Yeah. Look, it happens a lot. Now, here's somebody who's not mentally fully developed. Why would you be like, let me just see if I can... Re-? And, like... But but, but she knows he is absolutely in love with her, and therefore the, her child would be... Even if it wasn't his yeah, child. But she also... But she doesn't know what he would be like as a father. She doesn't know. Nobody knows what they're going to be like, no, apparently. No. But, but, but that's what I'm him... saying. So she she was doing what she thought was best. Does that necessarily mean that it was the right decision? No. But here's someone who has his own special needs. And, you know, she's got this precious new life. And she doesn't want to fall into the same thing that happened to her. And while she, obviously Forrest would not be a molester like her father was. But she's just trying to do what's best for her. And that's... Take that part out. All the other shit. She's a girl that her childhood best friend loves. There's a lot of people out there that that happens, and they don't get together. So there is some beauty in the fact that she did. And that's the other thing. What what's the consent like? Is that even so? It's like it's romantic, but it's also like wait a minute. Consent on her behalf. If this was flipped, if Jenny was special, and Forrest wasn't. So that's another thing too. People are so fucking quick to jump down Jenny's throat. There's, I can see why she didn't just was like, yeah, I'm gonna fall madly in love with the boy next door because 
this is a different case. And yes, we all love Forrest so fucking much that she seems so fucking evil. But I don't think she's evil. She's not evil, but I don't think she's a horrible person. No, I don't think she's malevolent in her actions. She, I think she's a wild child to Forrest's innocence. That's I mean, in thing. comparison, yes, because he's so innocent. Like, but anything will seem... Hard, people do all the time. I say that all the time. And people, it fucking pisses me off. Because I, and especially that, those time periods, nothing Jenny does is out of... Yeah, she was a Studio 54 girl. Yeah. Is Forrest going to be a Studio 54 kind of guy? No. The fucking dude loves his Dr. Pepper. That's what I'm drinking, yo. Anyway. Sidebar, was that the reason why you got your doctor? <laughs> no, Pepper? no, but it is kind of funny. Okay. And it is funny. <laughs> it's just where it's the universe. And, uh, but boy, yeah, gotta that's, pay. <laughs> it really pissed me off, and it's, there's been a few Do you podcasts. think she told him that he's probably going to die because he, he got a sexy transmission disease from her? Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. We won't know, and that's the thing. That's why I always think Philadelphia is a pseudo sequel to Force Gump. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god that's <laughs> Sorry. That's fucked up. But I'm just saying. I, there was another movies? podcast, and they were fucking tearing Jenny apart. And I was like, "You can go fuck yourself because you guys are man whores." And if she was a real person, she'd have a fucking lifetime movie about her, and we'd all be like, "Yes, Jenny, do your thing." I just feel like to quote Fight Club, "We're a generation of uh, raised on mothers." I mean, I feel like the fact that like. I understand she didn't have the greatest relationship with her father, but maybe she should have given Forrest a chance. Yeah, but here's the whole thing, too. Like, daddy issues are is a real thing, and everyone yeah. jokes about it. Like, oh, he's got daddy issues. He's got to do. It's a real fucking thing, and especially for someone who's a sexual assault survivor. Yeah. And she, you know, because she was in an abusive relationship after that, she's not jumping. Here's this thing that seems too good to be true her whole life. Forrest is that thing that was too good to be true. She's not jumping into that, and she does. And she ends up getting pregnant, and she's fucking scared out of her mind. I don't blame her. I don't blame her one bit. Jenny's a good fucking person, people. Anyway. I'm sorry for bringing it up. Nice try. <laughs> <laughs> Not today, Satan. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I think? I think she go home to Greenbow, Alabama. And I'm just saying, look too. Look at how Forrest portrays his mother. His saint. mother is in in Forrest's eyes is a saint, but she but she's not a saint. No, really. the audience knows that she's not. And that's the thing with Jenny too, because we see Jenny doing all of these things. We don't see he she's idolized in his eyes, but not to the extent of his mother. So uh, there's not a Madonna complex with Jenny. Jenny's the real deal, and yes, he loved her over the top, and she loved him too. No, no I'm not saying she didn't love but, him, but like girl had it bad like every every inch she got somebody came back and th- drove her back a mile fuck all y'all <laughs> I, i'm not oh, okay. what's your number <laughs> i love the movie too i, I love the movie too, as well yeah i mean i'm just saying number just, 12 dakota uh, <laughs> <laughs> i don't i go home rethink my life yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i think the podcast is over i know i'm just gonna go upstairs <laughs> So to my bed and just like I need to reflect on Nikki's rampage. Oh my god. Dwayne the Rock Johnson Rampage. I wanna see this so bad. You know, like, I it's wanna, gonna be so stupid. I, I'm gonna like buy candy and just be totally like, ah, oh, this is gonna be so stupid. I'm gonna love it though. Ugh. Twelve Dakota. I feel there's no like umph anymore. <laughs> I didn't mean to, like, suck the fucking air out of your sails. <laughs> What's the 
expression? Was that close enough? <laughs> no, I don't even know what expression you were going for. Took the wind out of his sails. Uh, there you go. You sucked the air the- out of the room. <laughs> I Maybe we should get a proverb or, or, or something. Make some action shit as we go. <laughs> Remember what they say: the people who live in greenhouse uh, glass houses need to get out of the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna be like, "Fuck!" I'm like, "Ass!" People say that, and then I was like, "No way, that's too." Oh my gosh, fuck! <laughs> okay, so number twelve, another movie that I absolutely slap happy. Absolutely love. I watched this as a child continuously. Um, Jurassic Park. The, the first one made in 1993 by Steven Spielberg. I have a lot of Steven Spielberg movies on this list. But, uh, more than I thought I would have. Um, but yeah, I abs- I love this movie. We saw the double feature. We talked about it in a previous podcast, seeing the double feature uh, of this at um, in a Huntington Cinema Arts Center. Um, was that the night I hooked you in the back seat? With a fishing no, line. it was Inception in the Matrix. Okay. Which I'm pissed because we didn't stay for the Matrix. We did not. Yeah, I forgot. Now, in was. retrospect, I think we should have stayed for the Matrix. Yeah, probably. Yeah. But anyway, so Jurassic Park. Loved it. It's one of my favorite movies. Yeah, that was because this was paired up with Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Loved it. Seeing it, loved it, loved it even more when I saw it at Huntington Cinema Arts Center. I mean, start to finish, great movie. And the thing is, the, the CGI in it still holds up very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously mixed with puppetry, which the puppets look great as well. And the, the scene with the T-Rex is absolutely perfect start to finish with, in terms of suspense, in my opinion. Mm. So it's kind of hard to – I mean, there's other movies, a uh, w- lot of movies ahead of this one on my list. But it is hard to top this movie, like, like entertainment-wise. Right. I, yeah, I can't say much, much more than I just had a lot of fun watching it. And it, it's still – Staples me, staple guns me to my seat when when it's on. I'm not ready to talk about this. Damn it, Tim! All my movies are okay. We're we have a lot of overlapping movies then, I guess. Yeah, we're the same person. Okay, now uh, my really short segment after Nikki's rampage. Let's go to you, Tim. What's your number twelve? Uh, my number twelve is appropriately number is Twelve Angry Men because I am. Did a, you do that on purpose? Yes, I did. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, I'm like, where are you put my list? I'm like, put it at twelve. I never have to move it. Uh, I always know where it is. Everything else like shifted. Twelve arguments always stayed there. Um, directed by Sidney Lumet, it was his first feature film. It had to come in from years of theater. The story about a, a jury that eleven out of twelve think the defendant is guilty. One person having found it raises the question that we can't decide this kid's fate in just a few minutes. So they decided to take an hour to discuss what happens. It happens in real time of the exploration of bigotry and kind of the faults in the soul, in the justice system of all kind of uh, your own bringing your own prejudice and your own history and and kind of like since it's set in New York City and New York City is a melting pot of cultures. I mean, great, it's all white and Spanish people and men in this jury. There's no women or anything like that. So yeah, it's not the most progressive movie in the world in that regard. But I think just making it the time, it probably it's it's reflective of that. Henry Fonda's performance is fantastic. I mean, how I've tried to judge myself as a filmmaker or try to achieve things as a filmmaker is be able to have something visually interesting as a Spielberg movie and something that gets performance out of, like, Sidney Lumet because him coming from theater, he was always able to get great performances out of every actor he dealt with. And his strict adherence to rehearsal before a movie, I mean, he would rehearse with a cast for two weeks. Mandatory, no matter what. 
any movie he did. And, of course, he after this, he would go on to do things like Dog Day Afternoon, Serpico, The Verdict, uh, The Wiz, um, uh, Q&A, and there's so many more, Prince of the City. Um, and it's just... It is... A movie set takes place all in one room, and it's one of the most tense tense movies I've ever seen. And by the end of it, I'm sweating. And Lee J. Cobb's performance at the end of his final speech of, like, he's the last one who says he's guilty, and all, 11 others say he's not guilty. And his speech of, like, the reason why he's doing it is he's trying to punish his son in a weird way because this kid reminds him of that. Yeah. And, and it's so weird because that... Lee J. Cobb would go on to play Willie Loman in mean, Death of the Salesman in a TV movie. And I'm like, Willie Loman's such a kind of a feeble character. It's so weird to see Lee J. Cobb, who's a very big and masculine person, to see someone that's kind of feeble in that. I, I still need to see. But, yeah, 12 Angry Men. Yeah. No, um, I have not personally seen this movie. Um, obviously, I've taken, a, like, a handful of law classes in high school and college because I love – I love law, like law stuff, because it's actually a lot of fun. It's very interesting, and what we did talk, Twelve Angry Men is obviously a movie that comes up along with my cousin Vinny uh, in a lot of these law classes because of the historical significance. Because it's like taking actual law and putting it into uh, movie theaters and homes for people. The problem with Twelve Angry Men, they did stu- stuff in this movie that is technically illegal. The brain is Inadmi- inadmissible. Yes, the knife specifically. Yeah, yeah. so it's kind of like, it, but that's a cinematic moment for sure. It's a very cinematic moment, but there is a lot of stuff in in Twelve Angry Men as well as My Cousin Vinny that is applicable to U.S. law. Yeah, and that it's, it's it makes significant. It accessible. It makes the courtroom accessible to an audience, and that's the thing too. Yeah, my media and the law class we <sighs> covered both of those too. Um, but yeah, that's I haven't fully seen Twelve Angry Men either. I I may have read it's a play, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I may have read the play. I feel like I did. Um but yeah, I haven't seen it. But that's I it is one of those films that especially having studied it's come up quite a bit. Yeah. And I love the cool thing production wise that Lamette did is that first part of the movie, the first third, it's all like high angles with wide angle lenses. And what he would do is, all right, we're gonna light everything for this wall. We're going to shoot everything we need coverage-wise for this wall, and then we do the three next walls, and we do that the first section of the movie. Second half, the second part of the section is eye level and lenses a little bit longer. Third section is low and extremely long lenses, and it, it was a decisive, a, a, a incredible decision because it definitely affected the viewer's take on the movie. And just kind of, that kind of dedication to the craft, I think, I just find really fascinating. And, yeah, I just can't get enough of it. But uh, your number 11, Nikki. So number 11 would be The Exorcist. Oh. Yeah. So I did not see this until later on in life because we know that I didn't like horror when I was younger, even though I really love it now. Um, and the reason I saw it, I was actually researching a role. I was playing Reagan. Um, my my friends, I used to do a lot of productions with them. They would play movies on the screen at, uh, like, Island Cinemas and Mastic. So they'd play horror movies, but they'd do a skip before, and then it was interactive, and, and they needed someone to fill in. And uh, so they called me. So I, I watched it, fell in love with it. Um, Which version of the movie? Directed or theatrical? Ooh, good question. Theatrical, I think. By the way, another movie with Lee J. Cobb in it. Yes, he's a detective yeah. in that. And he's also he's fantastic as the cop in it. Sorry. I was like, yeah, no, I don't think I've seen the cut. I think it's just 
The cuts when she's spider crawls? Yeah. That, that, okay, you, I have and, seen it then. And also it opens up like before in Northern Iraq, it opens up in Georgetown seeing the apartment before it goes to Northern Iraq. Yeah, I have seen it, but that wasn't the cut that I, I start, like it wasn't the first feeling of it. Got it. Um, I was like, oh my God, I don't know. Um, I was like, have I, have I been missing this like unlocked achievement? Um, but yeah, so I, I did that and, uh. I really just connected with Reagan, and I, I loved, and I I got, I didn't get as scared, obviously, as the, the theater when it was first released, and, you know, people were, like, passing the fuck out, but to stay get a little wheezy around a Ouija board, so I don't need no Captain Nerdy drama. Um, but yeah, we did, and then I was, so I had to act it out, and I ended up, like, slamming my head into a brick wall by accident, um, but then I, uh. I scared the shit out of somebody who was, like, climbing on the chairs and stuff that we definitely weren't allowed to do, but since I wasn't normal, like, I wasn't part of the cast, I was, like, a fill-in. Um, and then I also, I played Reagan again in a haunted house and got, uh, like, best haunter of the year out of that because I used to just slam myself into a wall. If you're gonna play Possessed, you might as well just fucking go for it. Yeah. So, yeah, The Exorcist is, uh... Nikki will be donating her brain to CTE research. Yes. <laughs> will Smith. No. <laughs> Igor. What brain was that? Abby something. No. Abby who? Abby normal, I believe. Igor, you're telling me I put an abnormal brain into a 7 foot 2, 56 inch wide gorilla! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, um, The Exorcist is in my top 15 favorite horror movies. It is my, it's not my favorite exorcism movie that goes to The Conjuring, but you wouldn't have a myriad of movies without The Exorcist. And I think the fact that William Freakin was not a horror director going into it, and he took and he took his time when it came to building up the story, like, it's a slow burn. It is. And I think it's perfect. And a lot of people, like, watch now, like, the Northern Iraq stuff, like, that's pointless. Like, no, that is so much... There's so much atmosphere in the beginning of that as as Marin's walking around and um, and the scene the, the the statue of Pazuzu and then the wind spoiling up the dogs fighting over the meat and um, there's if you there's there's a William Freakin has a biography that came out called the Freakin Connection and he's talking about after release that Freakin was so strict when it comes to the, to the showing of it there was somebody who had a bootleg 16 millimeter print of it. And so freaking send a guy who knew a guy kind of thing. Yeah. And broke into the theater, stole the print at gunpoint. And so the cops show up at freaking's office a day later. The print's sitting underneath the couch that the cops are sitting on. And he's like, no, I have no idea what happened with that and everything. And it's just the, the cultural significance of that movie and how it's still kind of unnerving. I think the, the, the scene that freaks me out the most is the, the uh, arteriogram. When she has like the like, and had like the blood spurt out, I'm like, yeah, it's a little bit of blood, but, and then the, the test of it, that's the most unnerving thing for me because a, I don't like hospitals. Pea, uh, the pea soup, no, oh. like that. Should people are like, oh, I love pea soup. I'm like, how can you? And like, if you've ever seen The Exorcist, how could you ever find that appetizing? No, I've I've never seen The Exorcist. Well, you don't like I don't like ho- I don't like horror movies. Yeah, point. I mean, uh, was. Uh, I was busting my friend Scott's uh, chops on uh, Twitter because he's not the fan, uh, biggest fan of Justice League that came out. And our friend, mutual friend Lisa was kind of like on the fence. I'm like, and I quoted uh, Steppenwolf like, 
give it time. You'll enjoy just a Buster Chops. And Scott says the gift back, cast you out on clean spirits. So I was like, your mother sucks cocks in hell. I was just going to say, it's still the best like fucking line ever. <laughs> and, and, and like somebody who never seen The Exorcist was like, whoa, Tim, you went hard there. I'm like, oh, no, don't, don't worry. Oh, oh this is just awkward yeah. now. Soiled it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh. Soiled it. Stop it. My ear is ringing. <laughs> You're number 11, Dakota. Oh, we're out me first. Sorry. So, number 11. Uh, 3, 11. 3, 3, 11. Sorry. <clears throat> Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember if I saw this in theaters or I just saw it on the extended DVD collection. I don't remember. I just know that this was my this is my favorite out of three. Um, I particularly, obviously, I particularly love Air, uh, the Aragorn... Uh, Aragorn storyline with Legolas and Gimli with the Riders of Rohan and the Battle of Helm's Deep because that battle scene was amazing. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of great things about this movie. I mean, you had the cut first. You had the cutting edge technology to motion capture Andy Serkis as Gollum, um, which you go back, it doesn't hold up too too well now. But it's, it's the, the eyes. It's the eyes that that screw it. But it's overall still very good. Um, some of the wolf riders are a little cheesy, but... Yeah. But, they look a little bit better in Return of the King. Yeah, they do. Um, but I just feel like this story... The, the 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 country of Rohan is so... Like, you want these guys to succeed because they are on the brink of destruction. And Gandalf coming at just the right time to help, help motivate... Help rescue the king to save his people by sending them to Helm's Deep. Even though uh, Gandalf doesn't agree... Uh, to that plan, but I don't know. And then you have Merry and Pippin uh, in the woods with the, with the um, with Treebeard, and that whole storyline, how that plays into the events later on. You just have a lot of great elements into this, and especially the uh, extended edition on DVDs just make this movie so much better. And I just can't talk enough about it because, like, like how unnerving is it when you have the when they introduce the scene of uh, all the archers. On uh, on the wall of Helm's Deep, pointing at this massive army of orcs, just uh, orcai just marching up to it, and then uh, like the production value alone is something to be amazed by. I mean, the, the funny thing is, a lot of that was miniature, which, which is crazy because you never would know. Yeah, I mean, the miniature is the size of this room. I, I mean, it is, but like, if not bigger, if not bigger. I mean, that's why I love the. Uh, oh. The best thing you do is if you're Lord of the Rings and you get the extended cuts and you watch all the special features. Like, I did that once. I, I watched all the movies. There's with hours of special features, And I watched though. all the special features and I didn't watch Lord of the Rings like two years afterwards. So, like, I just like, two weeks was solid. Everything, I come home, I watch that. Yeah. And so, all the supplemental material and I'm like, all right, I can never watch this again. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, it's not my favorite of it, but it has... Possibly my favorite piece of music ever written for a movie. Oh, the the Rohan, the, da, 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 da. yeah, and it's it's the fiddle. It's, it's, it's just the lone fi- the lone fiddle. Yeah, it, it just I feel enraptured by it. It, it that that piece is very emotional for me. I, I feel like almost like crying every time I hear it. Yeah, um, because it's like that like one strong stand at like yeah one strong last man standing type of like melody. Yeah, but um, no, I mean. I can't talk more uh, talk enough about Two Towers because that, out of all three, it's still my favorite because probably because of the Battle of Helm's Deep. Nice. I know you don't have anything to contribute, so 
Nothing. Every yeah. movie I choose is like uh, nobody can talk about. No, you I can't talk about some. You can't talk about some. So. Can yell at you for other stuff? <laughs> so he said worry. something. I said something. We're at the football. <laughs> Tim, let's wrap up your t- uh, first five. What's your number eleven? Uh, Shaun the Dead. Ah, yeah, I had to have a comedy in here, and it is possibly my favorite com- comedy, maybe behind Caddyshack. But it is a movie that I saw at just the right time, and how I just became in love with the people of like Simon Pegg, um, Nick Frost, Edgar Wright, and Jessica Stevenson, uh, Jennifer Stevenson. Um, she plays Yvonne, like the one who's like saves him at the end by showing up at the military. She's the one the, from uh, spaced spaced. Yeah. Uh, I still which, gotta see spaced. All that's on you. All of it is on YouTube. I'll send you a link to it. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Then, so we can finally do a podcast about space. Yes, we can. Okay. Um, sorry. I know. <laughs> uh, it's something like, as soon as like the idea of the podcast was starting, like that was one of the things we would want. This to was do. like one yeah. of the early ideas of podcasts that we had on the show. Yeah. And so we would, it, it's been brewing for almost three years now. I can't believe that. Um, is my favorite of the Blood and Cornetto trilogy between it's this, Hot Fuzz, and The World's End. I, I think it's just, it is a perfect satire, but also a love letter to zombie movies. Right. And I actually only saw this last year. Was it last year or the year before with at Huntington Cinema Art Center? You dressed this past summer. It was the summer before. It was yeah. summer 2016. Yeah, you, another thing I saw with you. and it, it was, Yeah, but it wasn't Summer Camp Center. It was Cult Cafe. Yeah. And I dressed up as Sean from Sean the Dead because I'm offering when I meet new people, people, like, the first thing they'll say to me, like, hey, do you know you look like I look like Simon Pegg? I look like Sean <laughs> yeah. the Dead. So I just kind of you play do. into it. Yeah, yeah. And no. so, and I'm once again, I'm not a horror fan, but it was more comedy based. I loved Hot Fuzz. I saw World's End. Right. And I just didn't, never saw Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. So I wa- said, fuck it. And I went and watched it with you, and I enjoyed it tremendously. Right. Hot Fuzz is still my favorite out of the three, mm-hmm. but I, I still, yeah, I really enjoy that. It, because I also picked, I didn't pick up on a lot of, uh, lot of references, mm-hmm. but I did pick up on the Evil Dead reference with, like, Ash is out sick today. Ash, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Barbara is the name of Sean's mother. It's a Night of Living Dead. Like, they're coming to get you, Barbara. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah I, 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 you introduced Night of the Living Dead as well to me. Um, that, uh, I mean, one of the, like, it was, we actually were going to uh, the Cinemark Center to see Raiders of Lost Ark and Jurassic Park, uh, Don't Stop Me Now came on. And I know that song specifically because of Shaun the Dead. And it just, the three of us just jumped into an impromptu, like, sing-along to uh, Don't Stop Me Now. <laughs> having a good time. Having, having a good, good time. time. <laughs> and so it's whenever I feel down, I'll always put that in because it's always a great pick-me-up. And, and I think it's just because, like, it is so – especially linked to space specifically – because it's like late 20s, trying to figure out where you are in life, and it's something I guess is something I'm just trying to really important right now to me. And I think it's like like this, and the world's end, I think, has the most heart, and it has the most like personal drama. Like Hot Fuzz is a lot of plot, mm-hmm. and it's like the stakes is just trying to solve the mystery, yeah. and like in well, World's yeah. End, and Sean is trying to survive and trying to and such. Yeah, like. <clears throat> Like, out of the three, I think World's End was my least favorite. That's fair. Um, Hot Fuzz, obviously, my, my number one. And then uh, number two, obviously, since there's only three. But, yeah. No, I understand the, the heart in uh, World's End. I just didn't – I just thought that the story to the first two were much, much better. That's fair. I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, it's everyone's opinion. But I do feel like it was kind of like, eh, it's eh. 
the reason why that aliens was, yeah the reason why aliens <laughs> resonated with me the most is because Gary King's character is living in the past and like the like that one night was like the pinnacle of his life yeah I saw that right before I met to graduate college and the last two years of college when I was away at SUNY Oswego at a time were the best years of my life because I had so much fun I had so many great relationships and everything and I saw myself in him because I'm like don't let this be your high mark yeah Okay. Yeah, I, I and that's why that. I was like, I, I strive to make sure, just like, to well, better Tim, myself. You've bought two cars since then. Yes. <laughs> I can see if you want, if you want, if you want, and at graduated college, and uh, yeah. And you're here now with us. You're welcome. One of us. One, one of us. us. Gobble 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 gobble. <laughs> we will make you one of us. Nikki, you're number ten, since so you just chimed in. Number ten. The top ten. <laughs> Um, okay, so this is where I start kind of questioning my numbering and, like, where I put things. Well, it's after 9 before 11. Mm. <sighs> that joke was super arithmetic. So, every time you tell us... These jokes like, are academic. Shut the these, fuck up! <laughs> every time uh, Tim says a pun, literally the noise that just came out of my mouth is what You happened. pull a Marge right there, by the way. Like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> and every time I hear a pun... I hear John Cena's theme, like it's like That's what I hear in my head. It's so bad we like still encourage it because we tag him in all these pun things, but then it's also like, fucking stop. Yeah. Um. Anyway, my number ten, Toy Story two. This is one that this is one of the ones that inspired. I had asked him this question, like, are we allowed to do like you know sequels as part? Or as one, and he's like, no. So, so I picked um, Toy Story two be over Toy Story um, and Toy Story three. I guess if you really want to look at it that way, because of Jesse. Jesse really makes the difference. That's my oh, girl. Oh, geez, my, my. I can hear that song in my right. Such right. heartbreaking. It's such a heartbreaking. That song. honestly oh, had God. to be the start of Pixar saying we gotta have tearjerkers in every yeah, movie. Yeah, because the first Toy Story. It's like, Andy's mom. It's. Andy's mom. I, the, the, the theory, the theory the, is anyway. The, the, the fan theory is very. I would believe it's very solid for that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's um. But yeah, that that was kind of the main deciding factor because I mean, at the end of the day, um, the Toy Stories all have very similar. It's like, oh, we got separated from our human, blah blah blah. But Toy Story two, the introduction of Jesse. That's my girl. We gotta come back to this list and count how many times Steven Spielberg pops up and how many times Tom Hanks pops up. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he is. He's making a lot of appearances. Yeah. I mean, Tom Hanks is an exceptional actor. So, so yeah. Yeah. But, wait, but would you? Where? What would you guys pick out of the three? The first like, one. You go first. I, I I remember seeing the Toy Story two in theaters and I didn't quite enjoy it as much as the f- first one. Not saying Toy Story 2 is bad, I just prefer Toy Story 1, and then Toy Story 3 had a lot of great moments in it, but I don't know where I would... To be honest, I, they're kind of all on the same playing field, like 2 and 3, but number 1 I feel like is just more nostalgic for me, so that has to rate higher. Because okay. I, I think it's my earliest movie theater memory is seeing Toy Story. Is this, we, is this another movie we can't really talk about right now? No, it's fine. Really? Uh, yeah, we're good. One. Toy Story's not on my list. Are you kidding me? I, you, when you said you had one animated movie, I swore to God it was going to be Toy Story. No. Because you and the relationship between you and your sisters with this movie. That is true, but no, I have something else. It's something, Damn it! It's something else is like... Oh, good thing I didn't bet money because I would have... I wish to God he did. Oh. Damn it. 
We, we uh, should have actually, like, who's going to have what movie? And then we place Fuck, we should have done that. I, I've said so For many movies on my list yeah. throughout this entire podcast, we do, the like, podcast our, series. I know, what number, I, I know what your number one is. And yeah. Probably number two. Top five least favorite movies. Oh. Ooh. And then we'll just place fucking Mad Bet. <laughs> who knows? It could be just anything. Just go back to our original conversation about movie theory uh, experiences. Everybody looks no, at our Venmo accounts like, wow, they just shifted money re- a you lot. Should, <laughs> it should just be all emojis. Like, <laughs> like Vegas betting odds. Miami Vice is Dakota's least favorite movie, right? Totally yeah. <laughs> What's the over-under? <laughs> um, I'm going to have to come back to you with my favorite of that. It, it's probably one, but it, I think it might be Jesse's backstory that really Jesse. does it for me. And I, I love the it's climax great. of two. And Jesse's yeah. my favorite Disney character. So, like, really? she is my overall, like, if we... Who's mine? Out of all the princesses, out of every movie, Jesse is my girl. I lose my shit. You say he's Jesse's girl? <laughs> I wish I had Jesse's girl. Uh, we're very musical tonight. Um, well, and aren't. by we, I mean I'm joining in, which never fucking happened. Th- that is true. That is very true. I think Did- it's all the Dr. Pepper I am. I also think <laughs> I'm all jacked up, mad you. <laughs> Could come at you like a spider monkey, like a spider monkey. Oh my god! Don't make me laugh. Don't make me laugh. <laughs> if we want to, why I left my contact out? Like, if we want. <laughs> Pussies, we want an into Dr. Quinn and Medicine Woman. Because I might piss myself. That's why, if I laugh oh too hard. God, oh, why do I? I, I love Tyler Jacob. Okay. It's not on my list, though. I don't love Tyler Jacob. <laughs> That would actually maybe make my least favorite. What? Yeah, we'll fight about it. Later. I could not disagree with you more. Okay, so what's your number 10? So we're entering the top 10 of my list. It might become a little bit more predictable at this point for Tim. Well, you are basic. So my the quintessential spy movie from Russia with Love is my number 10. I don't think there's a better James Bond movie out there other than from Russia with Love. It most has, people will say Goldfinger. Most people will, yeah. Goldfinger or Goldeneye would probably come yeah, close. Yeah, it depends on what age you are you're asking, the age of the person you're asking that question. But From Russia With Love came before Goldfinger. Yeah. And to me, this encapsulates the Cold one, the Cold War, to Sean Connery's career. He was, I don't think he was anywhere near as good as he was in this movie and the following movies. Really? Yeah, he was spectacular in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the plot is great. I mean, even the book, that the book is exceptional, too. It's Kennedy's favorite, right? It's Kennedy's, uh, yeah, John F. Kennedy's favorite book, uh, book, and he said that the U.S. need more men like James Bond after reading it. I can see that. Um, but the story is great. I mean, the setting in Istanbul is great. And then, obviously, I mean, can you... Robert Shaw as Red Grant. Robert Shaw as, uh, as Grant. Just so... So good, and then Del- uh, I'm going to slaughter her name. Daniela Bian- uh, Bianchi as Tatiana Romano, Romanova, Tanya. Best, best Bond, <laughs> best Bond girl ever, and that it's kind of like proven because every time what. <laughs> <laughs> Halle Berry's good looking. Oh, come she's on. a terrible Bond girl. Come on, <laughs> but every but they wow, you, you triggered but it they, right there. But just, I know that was he was like. What you say? You almost pulled an exit. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> go 360. <laughs> but yeah, Tanya. But uh, he was possessed there. You know, Tanya is like the quintessential Bond girl. I mean, they even used uh, her dialogue for screen test for new Bond girls. Bond girls because it was such a memorable scene with her in the her introduction to to James Bond. And yeah, I mean, yeah, flat out one of my favorite movies of all time. And obviously, it's on my top ten. And 
and now I'm here talking to myself. Cancer. Nice. <laughs> uh, it is my favorite Bond movie as well. I absolutely adore it. And every it is the measuring stick I had to every Bond movie that comes out afterwards. I know it's probably kind of unfair, but it, it is what it, it is. It, it's also funny because it's 1963, and we're still they're still making James Bond movies now, and we're comparing it to From Russia with Love. Yeah, I think it. Yeah, it says a lot about it. Right. And and yeah, and there's no there's really no gadgets in this movie either. It's just the briefcase. Yeah, that's and it. the rifle. The rifle was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Taking down the helicopter at the end, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, it, but that was an obvious, obvious miniature blowing up. Oh, totally. <laughs> There's so many things. Like, you walk back to the early stuff, like, ah, so bad painting that. So bad. Especially, well, first one, it was made for a million dollars in 1962. Yeah, what was the budget on this one? It was maybe like... Two million. Yeah, so they doubled it. Um, they got 12 times their money back for it. In 1963 dollars. Yeah. And how much residual money has happened afterwards? Uh, so my number 10... Um, it's RoboCop, it, because it's just a movie that I absolutely come quietly or there'll be trouble. Ah, sh- fuck you! It's another movie that I quote constantly. It is a score by Basil Bedoris. I've listened to because, like, for a while, like the storage problems on my phone. The only piece of music I had was that album, so I listened to that like several times a day while I'm at work. And Peter Weller as Murphy is like the first time I saw something as that violent. Paul Verhoeven's like use of satire in it, and, like how it is so. It's a great commentary on Asian yuppie culture, along with like John Carpenter's They Live. It is great science fiction. Ed Two Hundred Nine, I think, is one of the best designs of a robot ever in a movie. And it's kind of like almost a measuring stick for what, like my friends if we can quote RoboCop together, and something that I try. I may shoehorn into every almost every conversation I can have. I mean, it's something that I saw when I was a very young age. Probably I was far too young to see that. I know that, but my mom was very liberal when it came to the things I could see. There's a lot of movies which I was actually surprised how young you you saw uh, were when you saw. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not affecting me whatsoever. <laughs> Just think about you, like when I see certain movies that you've seen, it's like the hu- a big age difference. Well, yeah, like, but viewing. also, but also, I love introducing you to movies because I love. Being the series. I also, I love introducing movies to people. So I get you introduced react. this movie to to me, and I think you're a little disappointed with my reaction to it. Yeah, because I don't think it's your cup of tea. It really wasn't. It's it was entertaining. It's nothing I think back to mm-hmm. like and go like, oh, that was amazing. That's nothing like when we all watch Star Wars too. I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah, or like, <laughs> but it's not the reaction to this movie was not nothing like when you showed me Terminator Two. Right. So. I mean, when I, f- I got to see this all on the big screen last year on 35mm film, and it was in the, the main theater where we saw Raiders in Jurassic Park. Yeah. And obviously, that sound system is meant for a bigger theater. Mm. And so when the dude in the boardroom gets blown away, my sh- seat was shaking. Wow. Like, lisp came back there really bad. I have- oh, oh, you want to talk about lisp? I know, I know. I have a little bit of a lisp. I, I'm not as... A subtle lisp. I was... <laughs> to my fucking... Two lisps and one stutterer. Let's go. Oh, yeah. And we, we're hosting an auditory media. Yeah. So. <laughs> and the people listening to the podcast, that's two our, li- that should be our new podcast. Two, two lisps and a stutterer. <laughs> when Potter passed his <laughs> Oh, man. We actually, hey, we might have like a good... The well, speech uh, impediment <laughs> community would come out and support us. Oh, man. Jesus. Yes, I had to go to speech classes when I was younger. Same. Um, you know, the meanest thing they ever did was they sent me to the library to get where when the 
where the sidewalk ends by Shel Silverstein. Wow. And I was like, do I have to? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, can I have the Shel Silverstein? Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say it. It was so hard. Okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> and there was a, two, a pair of couples in front of me. Obviously, there was two guys and two women. The guys, obviously, they were the ones the fans movie, and their girlfriends they seem to be dragged along. When Kenny gets blown up in the the boardroom by Ed two hundred nine, he's like on the the uh, model, and like chunks are flying out of him. Both of them are like, "Oh my god!" And so, rest of the movie, I sat a little bit lower in my chair so I could have their reactions in my <laughs> foreground. And I love the moment where, as I mentioned, like how loud the system was when uh, Clarence Boddicker's car gets. Uh, does a flip and he lands in the water mm. and it goes in slow motion. You hear the engine rev. Like I was like, like, am I got to cover my ears? Cause this is really freaking loud. I mean, I, I recently, Mike and I saw the two nightmare on Elm street movies. And there's one point it was so loud. And I'm like, like I saw somebody actually cover their ears because it was so loud. Wow. But yeah, Robocop. I absolutely adore. Paul Hoven is a genius and keep making movies. Uh, number nine, number nine, nine Nick, times, nine um, times, so I, nine I had, times. When I, I don't think you sick list, nine times. Oh my god! <laughs> um, when I wrote out my original list, I had I had moved this movie down actually. Um, so Finding Nemo, and I'm so glad I read Dakota's list because it completely escaped me. Um, yeah, this is a movie I can't talk about till later. Yeah, I, so we'll, we'll pin it. But yeah, I just I didn't see it in theaters originally. But actually, I guess it's never. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Yeah, I didn't see it originally in theaters. But uh, you know, ever since I saw it, it's really and it's such a beautiful piece of work. And just to watch the whole process of how they were able to create it and just the whole story, um, I love it. I absolutely love it. So we'll just go to your next one because we'll talk about it more. Tim, do you have any input on Finding Nemo? Or, or? It, it is uh, – it's probably my runner-up for my favorite. Do you uh, need like a cracker or something? <laughs> like I, I, I got snacks upstairs if you really <laughs> I mean, need it, lady. It's not as bad as is that is it Dory making yeah, – trying to communicate the whale? whale. <laughs> Dory, you do not speak whale. <laughs> Maybe he has a humpback. <laughs> <I> just <laughs> You're just making gurgling noises. <laughs> there is hey, a little krill. <laughs> They all eat krill. Oh my god! There is a makeup artist that I was like one of the people he demonstrated on in this video, but my stomach was so loud that they literally couldn't use that section because I ruined the audio. Wow. That's... So thank god that's not what's happening, but poor Dakota has to listen to my whale stomach. <laughs> Oh, well, well, well. I'm a beach whale. Dakota, fix your shit. You're yeah, like, yeah, get your shit in order. Get your house in order, okay? Mascara's running, I'm sorry. I was literally crying in laughter. I imagine, like, you, you posted the Lee Britney alone thing. Right? That's oh, yeah. why I saw when he said that. It's so funny because I thought I was so clever, and then I was like, shit, the moment's passed. I can't bring up that. I was like, leave Britney alone. <laughs> Asterisk Jenny. <laughs> um, okay. I, I, dead puppies, s- dead puppies, dead puppies, dead puppies. Okay, we're good. I, I, I'll bring, I'll bring it other- <laughs> <laughs> Fucking sadist. <laughs> I'm evil incarnate over here, and I'm like, I don't think the dead puppies to be uh, that funny. Anyway, I absolutely adore. Uh, Finding Nemo. 
I got a pair of fucking circus seals over there clapping away like it's feeding time. And I'm trying to express myself over here. You both like, duh, 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 duh. Wait, did you not hear us both like sigh at the same time? Like, Wait, my mic's so fucked up. We did it at the exact. It was in sync. It's not um, this. It was bye, 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 bye. Bye, bye, so bye. Like, oh man, that was funny, and it wasn't that funny. <sighs> anyway, please express your feelings. Finding Nemo. But if you don't now, we, we we'll wait. talk about it a little bit soon. <laughs> we'll talk about it soon. Moving on. Okay. So number nine, we actually, you and I talked about this movie uh, last year or year before. Uh, the Born Identity. Yes. So we all know that how my feelings about The Born Identity, we talked about it in, the po- in that podcast. But to just recap it really quick, um, this is where I fell in love with my love of my life, Matt Damon. I am unashamedly admitting that I have a man crush on him. He's just so delicious. Hey. And yeah, he's such a badass too. Oh my god, um, he is scrumptious. Scrumptious. I mean, oh my god. Maybe maybe Zach has a point. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people do confuse me for being gay sometimes. You don't say. And gay guys do hit on me a lot. Well, you, you take it as a compliment, dude. I do You're take it as a compliment. I, I'm, just, just I'm just a scrum- I'm just a, scru- a scrumptious little little thing. Flower. Mm. He's ready to bloom. Scrumptrelescent. I am so scrumptrelescent that I can hardly move. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so Born Identity, Matt Damon, 2002 movie. Um, yeah, I mean, this, if, um, I mean, From Russia with Love is the best uh, espionage movie. And this was such a unique twist on that espionage genre. I mean, it's a little bit of James Bond, a little bit of Mission Impossible mixed with something completely different. Uh, Matt Damon has a great, great performance in it, and it's still one of probably his most memorable roles, and one that he said he would love to continue doing for the rest of his career, because if he can physically keep up with it. Right. Um, maybe that's not a great idea after watching uh, Jason Bourne, but... We'll get to it. Yeah, we'll get to that one. We have to get to the supremacy and ultimatum first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um, but actually, to be honest with you, supremacy was one of my favorite movies for a long... For longest time, but then over time, identity became just that much more enjoyable to me. Right, and, and I think our, our, it's probably arguably our favorite sequence is the field scene at the end. So great! It's pure suspense, and it was so weird. I was thinking about the scene when he's in the restaurant or the, the little diner, like the, the roadside diner, talking about why he, how he, what he can do, what he can do, and what he knows. Yes, and he has no explanation for why. It. And for some reason, that pops in my head, I think, like, it, it was so good. last week. And I was like, oh. well, that's so strange. Why Actually, recently, I downloaded the, uh, the... The audiobooks for... No, no, I have to... Probably should do that. The chase scene books. Uh, the chase oh. scene music. Uh, Ready, Steady, Go. Yes. Uh, the, though the books, I read the... I read the books and uh, the original trilogy and then assert uh, to a story in... Uh, Robert the, Ludlum? Robert Ludlum. Okay. Um, I read his original trilogy and then the guy who took over for him, which I can't remember because after a certain point, the books got weird. Okay. Like uh, Jason Bourne just st- moved out of the U.S. and started taking orders from uh, a guru in India. And like his love interest in that series became a, l- a hardcore lesbian to a uh, Mexican cart- uh, cartel woman. Well. And the CIA started uh, started recruiting a, like a gangster person. For a hardcore 
cartel one. I mean, Mex- I mean, it was like she went out to Mexico and like, okay, she made made a deal with a girl, uh, with this woman who runs a cartel off of uh, tequila. Uh, tequila. Uh, that's tequila. Uh, that's what I'm doing next week. Yeah. Like, good, good for you. <laughs> Sorry, uh, so we're gonna find out that Nikki's gonna become a hardcore lesbian while she's down. Me, Sylvia. Oh yeah, Sylvia. I, I forgot. Did you think up in the last name yet or not? Boca. Sylvia Boca. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm going with. My God. Greek and Italian. But, nice. <laughs> <laughs> but Born Identity, great movie, deserves my top nine. If you want to hear more, go obviously go back to our pod, uh, Born Identity podcast. Right. Uh, my number nine is my my tie. It is Jaws and Jurassic Park. <gasps> yes. The reason being is because I saw both of them at a very young age, around the same time, and they're very similar to each other because it is Spielberg, it is... Like, I know people say, like, Jaws is not a horror movie, and neither is Jurassic Park, but there are horrific moments in both. Um, they're both scary. There's great suspense. I mean, Jurassic Park wouldn't have happened without Jaws in a myriad of ways. One, like, as the, the summer blockbuster as we know it, but also as, like, the kind of techniques that Spielberg used in Jaws influenced Jurassic Park. But there's also, like, there's a lot of E.T. in Jurassic Park as well because it's a focus on kids. Not saying the kids are not... Kids are a big part of Jaws. It's the... That's the moment when... Um, Brody's son is uh, attacked by the shark. That's just like he's like he looks down to the ocean. He's like, "Fuck you, shark! I'm coming after you. I don't care if I'm afraid of water. I'm gonna kill you." It's personal. Yeah. And uh, my favorite moment from Jaws is still uh, it's tough. It's it's either uh, it's either the Indianapolis speech from Robert Shaw, Mm -hmm. or it's the scene when when Hooper is actually in the cage. It's a a little bit of quiet when he takes the cork off the spear or the harpoon I should say and he's waiting and that's when and when uh, the, I know it's coming but it always shocks me when shark comes behind scares him and same thing with Jurassic Park it's when it's the T-Rex in um, paddock and when like when they look at the, the goat's gone like where's the goat and all of a sudden the carcass lands on top of the car and slides off and the joke I always make is when the, the, he finally plunges his face the t-rex plunges his head through the the clear ga- glass window i always say nightmare fuel three two one and then pop through and then having just a little piece of glass between you and this prehistoric uh animal terrifying yeah and that was the the whole thing with uh when um when hooper is in the cage uh, they they shot that off the coast of australia and they had a uh, like a, a little person well, they were supposed to. A little, yeah. They yeah. had a major case. Uh, they they downsized everything by a third to make the shark look bigger. Yes. And they provoked a great white shark to attack the cage, but there was nothing in it. That's how. And that's what the footage that you see in the movie Jaws. And but Spielberg rolled with it. It's like okay, I guess uh, Hooper lives. Yeah, this was when they re- were doing like I guess the reshoots in the tank and Universal. They had um, him get out of the cage, and it's funny. Um, Dick Warlock, who played Michael Myers, the shape in Halloween Two, is actually the one who does the stunt doubling for Hooper in that scene. Really? Yeah. And he I does... mean, it's so clearly not uh, Richard Dreyfuss. No, it's a very different head. <laughs> yes, his beard and everything, but it's not Richard Dreyfuss. You, you could you you could tell. But we, you and I talked about Jaws our another podcast. Yeah, we did a commentary for it. Yeah, I love that movie. Yes, and I'll talk about that later. Uh, I figured. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, and the scores for both of them, John Williams, is fantastic. The cinematography by Dean Cundy in Jurassic Park and Bill Butler in Jaws, respectively. Um, of course, it has the, 
other than Vertigo, the most famous Vertigo shot is when who, when Brody realizes the uh, little Kittner boy is... Uh, yeah, which I have the gif of on my phone, so every time it's like a what moment. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, no. I lied. I lied. My favorite moment in Jaws, it's after um, Brody's at the kitchen table, after he's dealt with the mother, and the son is just mimicking yeah, that the was father. A, that was like, a very hard drink. And then... And, and he's like, give us a kiss. Why? Because I need it. And it just, I always, it's just a really, it's, it's a, moments like that. That, that adds, like, yeah. Sorry. No, that adds to the character. Like, yeah. Really like, okay, yeah. I have a reason to cheer to for it. him. Yeah, you have to be invested in, I feel like, in those characters. I got drunk one time off of a fishbowl that had gummy sharks in it. And I was trying to, <laughs> drunk Nikki, um, I was trying to fish them out. And I was like, I think we're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> And Schmeling has it on video, and it's like one of my favorite videos of myself, because it's so fucking stupid. <laughs> I could not get that motherfucking shark out of that motherfucking fishbowl. <laughs> Shit was real. <laughs> Sounds like a real fishy time, that's for sure. Oh, I ruined the moment. No. <laughs> I'm sorry, I sunk that ship. Uh, it's okay. And, uh, I'm, I'm back from laughing my ass off to just being stoic. It, it keep- I like your stoic face compared to my stoic face. <laughs> <laughs> you can't take your stoic face seriously, you're number eight. Uh, so my number eight is a tie, because I found out I was allowed to do this when Tim said he had a tie. Yeah. I- <laughs> <laughs> so I did Wally, wow. and I did Up. Oh. So I, because honestly, both of them are so, I saw them both in theaters. I love them both. They're so vastly different, yet um, they're just gorgeous, gorgeous films. Um, up will break your heart in the first, like, five minutes. And then it's just nothing but building you back up. And I still, like, almost every day, I'm like, adventure is out there! Um, and then with Wally, not only is that movie just magical, but when I was working at the theater and I was doing all these birthday parties, it's amazing to me that a movie that has barely any talking, and so you're, you're about, like, an hour in before the talking even starts, can captivate children that way. And it's just stunning. Like, I really feel like Wally to me made me realize that Pixar is gold. Like, Pixar is money. They are fucking good at what they do. Brave. Brave is gorgeous, too, but like, Wally, though. I was saying, saying cars. Uh, Cars never did anything. I'm saying, like, it was saying, like, Pixar's gold. I'm putting out. Yeah, they're gorgeous looking movies. Yeah, but they are not flawless. Wait, Uh, Brave was. uh, Was Brave. Pixar? Mm-hmm. Yarp. Just making sure. Hold on. But go on. But yeah. No, I don't really have anything else to go on. Yeah, that. Pixar. Sorry. Um, yeah. Up as probably one of those heartbreaking openings to any movie. Yeah. yeah. The, the one thing I couldn't separate is... Um, Gotta keep them separated. Hey, hey. The Explorer Charles Muntz. How the fuck old is he? Uh, he's like over 100. He has to be. Yeah, yeah. Like that, that's... Even watching it, even though I love Up... He's like Dick Van Dyke age, you know. Well, Dick Van Dyke is fucking ancient, but but <laughs> no, mean, Charles Van Dyke Charles Bunt has to be at least. Well, isn't there a theory that he's, he's like, actually that Carl's actually dead, and this is all happening in his head? Have you heard that theory? No, no. That like yeah, he like died when they were like trying to. But if he died, where's his? They all like this was him. His travel like. This is, but like, he returns. But he returns to the city with. I know, but this is like his purgatory. 
That's like but, one of the theories. I'm not saying it's correct. I don't. Though. I don't buy that because his wife would be there. That well, man. If he gets there's no purgatory. He has to meet her in heaven. Yeah, but go but he goes. I, I don't buy it. I just don't buy it. <laughs> I don't buy it. And I also think Wally had such an agenda and did it in such a uh, it such. A, a kid-friendly way. As I, throw my, as I throw my smartphone yeah. away, like, you know what, this is probably, it's a good idea. I probably yeah. should get this away from me. Well, no, Wally did have an agenda. Wally, uh, Wally is adorable, there. start to finish. Eva. It had the subtlety of a sledgehammer when it comes to environmentalism. Not as, yeah. not as much as the megaton hammer that fucking uh, Avatar, uh, Avatar. Avatar had, but it... And was, I like Avatar, I know. But I'm a James I'm a James Cameron like Mark, so no, but go. yeah, Wally did have a fucking sledgehammer message to it, but it was adorable. Yeah, still loved it. Yeah, I mean I'm not I love Wally too. It's just I'm just saying you <laughs> they had a, it did have an agenda. It was so funny. Um <laughs> I was at college and I brought up uh, up at one point that um my girlfriend at the time and I were watching up and after the opening part of it like we had started fooling around because that's what we always did when we were, when we were with each other. And I'm relaying the story to a few female friends of mine up at school. And, like, my friend Julie's like, yeah, something was up that night. And I'm like, oh, zing. And so I always think of that play on words when it comes to up. I know it's really uh, childish that I think that. But, yeah. So, uh, Dakota, you're number eight. Well, let me tell you a story, true believers. We're going to talk about a crazy person named Spider-Man. Spider-Man. And Spider-Man, Spider-Man does whatever a spider can. It's funny because we actually have another podcast talking about Spider-Man, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. And uh, as a kid, this was like, this was the best thing ever I've ever seen. Mm. Um, Spider-Man is my number two favorite superhero. Batman did move into that number one spot, but Spider-Man still holds a special place in my heart because that was my superhero growing up. I wrote letters to Peter Parker and he would respond back, which that was, Aww. a, 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 a I, I really get emotional still talking about it. Uh, he is, he is the definition of a superhero by far. He's flawed. He's entertaining. He just does everything. And this movie captured every essence of Spider-Man in it. And it sucks that there hasn't been a movie that comes close to to this yet, featuring Spider-Man. Not even Spider-Man 2 in your eyes? Spider-Man 2 is great. Which one's the kiss? Spider-Man. But Spider-Man 2 is great, but I still think Spider-Man, the first one, edges out because of the sentimental value to it. That's fair. Um, Who's tried the Spider-Man kiss? I actually, everyone has, I think. Okay. <laughs> I like uh, that we all raise our hands. Uh, I, I, I thought we were playing Kings for a second. Like, never, ever, ever. I'm like, all right, fine, fuck it. <laughs> my, ex, my ex-girlfriend, Vicky, got, understood. Wait, you un- both have an ex named Vicky? Yeah. Yes. Hello. My ex and Vicky uh, understood that, and she actually, <laughs> she actually enjoyed it. And then my ex-girlfriend, Bree, thought it was the dumbest thing ever. And I was like, you're, you're, the well, you, you reason, the reasons why we broke up. You did not like the Spider-Man Imagine, kiss. Like, I brought you here to break things off. Why? I thought we had a good thing going. You didn't like the Spider-Man kiss. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I think that's valid. <laughs> that's a total do thing to say. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I mean, this movie was, I mean, this movie is, I mean, there, yeah, you can make fun of a lot of things, but start to finish, it's very entertaining. 
Um, <laughs> that, that Norman Osborne faced the elevator. <laughs> but William Defoe, William Defoe is Green Lantern and Norman Osborne. Green Goblin. Who are you? Say? You said Green Lantern. Fuck. Green Goblin. Sorry. And brightest day, and blackest night. As Green Goblin was amazing, and I really think DC should get on on top of him making casting him as an older Joker. Have Before you seen, he have dies. You seen, have you seen like the yes. different versions of him? Yeah, Joker? digitally like makeup and yeah. everything. Oh my god, he, lo- he looks so. That, I've seen Matt Smith as a Joker, and he's actually horrifying, horrifying too. Yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah, just love Spider Man, and I can't say enough about it. And obviously, go check out that podcast with Spider Man that we talked about Spider Man, which we have to finish that series as well. Yeah, I know we start things we never finish. Yeah, that's why Road to the Infinity War, which we have to do. <laughs> the fuck was that? I didn't Nothing. even. I wasn't. Oh uh, bullshit! I want to hear what you said. Tim, you'll hear it when you play the shit back. <laughs> number eight. Yes. My number eight is um, my animated movie. <clears throat> it's Batman: Mask of the Phantasm. Ah. Oh, see, we should have fucking got that. That's yeah. a little sad that we didn't pick up on that when I he said there's one known, animated. Should. I actually. That's I, the one we watched, right? Yes. I actually really enjoyed that. There we go. I, I, I really could have sworn it was going to be Toy Story. It was close. It was close. And um, it's my favorite Batman movie. I mean, obviously, I was a guest on my favorite podcast, Holy Batcast. For, like, it's a barely like an hour and 20 minute movie. We did two and a half hours on that. And so if you want to hear my full feelings on that, go listen to that episode. It's just something I absolutely adore. And everything that kind of Batman-related comics, movies, or video games, I kind of hold it to that kind of standard. I know it's kind of unfair, but it's I mean, just something read, I have so much sentimental value for. You read Batman's voice in comics as Kevin Conroy. Yes, I hear Joker's voice as Mark Hamill. Yeah. There's only one comic I hear a different voice as Batman. I, and when I read Dark Knight Returns, I hear Peter Weller because he voiced him in the Dark Knight Returns animated movie. Which he did a great performance. Yeah, there's only one line reading I have a problem with is when... It's after they find uh, Selena Kyle has been assaulted by the Joker. The SWAT team comes in and he grabs Carrie Kelly and they go diving out the window onto the hang glider. And he she slips, but he grabs her mm-hmm. and he says, "Good soldier, good soldier." And he, he says it in the most flat way possible. And he's like, "Good soldier, good soldier." Like he is yeah. Robocop at that moment. Like, <laughs> like, like, like Clarence Boniger, you're under arrest. Like that's how flat he says it. Um, Sorry, I'm stretching my knee out right now. It's that knee, though. It's kind of cramping on me. No, it's this knee. This knee. knee. <laughs> Dasani? 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 Baloney? Disney? That, yeah, okay. Uh, you're number seven. So my number seven, here's that film school shit coming back. Uh, the Cabinet of Dr. Calgary. Calgary? That's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, German Expressionism. All the freaky weird shit. It makes so much sense now thinking about it with you. It does. It totally does. And it's. I was introduced to this um, well after I was a huge Tim Burton fan. But everything about this movie reads Tim Burton. And from everything I read, he swears up and down he had not seen it uh, when he started filmmaking. But he has a very similar style. Um, it's freaky. It's weird. It's off. Um, and I love it. I really, really like it. I mean, it's really tough for me. For it's it's a tie between that and Nosferatu for me because well, oh, funny you should say that. You so that's your Murno film, yeah. uh, okay? Because you mentioned that before. I'm like, like, oh, is it 
I'm like, is it M? Like, is it going to be that? No, or? It's, it's Nosferatu, too. And then that's, it sticks again with, and it's funny because, uh, wait, do you want me to tell this? No, 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 I'm going to say M is Fritz Lang. That's why I'm like, because eh, for some reason Metropolis came back in my mind. Yeah. Myrna, there's something else in my bed. That's, um, do you want me to talk about Nosferatu? No, 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 we'll no, no, we can say it. it. We can we'll say come it. back to it. But yeah, it's, I mean, I can't imagine many of people to have seen the cabinet, especially 1920. Like, yeah, but it's not on everybody's repertoire. Um, I need to watch more sound cinema now. Yeah, I, you know what? I, doing this list and seeing stuff like that, um, I was like, I really, I really want to rewatch some of these, revisit it. Especially now, I'm so far removed from school uh, to get to see it without, you know, professors' words and textbooks' words in my head. It would be really cool to look at back at. Yeah. Sorry for the noise, by the way. I, my knee is cramping up for some reason. Um, but getting back to this, uh, I guess because I'm, I never took a film class, like unlike you guys, so I don't, I don't, I, I never even heard of this you one. Would, yeah, it definitely is not something I think would have popped up on your radar if it wasn't. Yeah, it is like, like I want to watch more German expressionism, and I also want to watch like the early Hitchcock silent films because, I, I mean, I think. Obviously, movies are a visual medium, and if you can tell a movie visually, I find that more interesting than with dialogue. I'm sure there are times that, like, people like David Mamet or Aaron Sorkin and um, Woody Allen and so many people who are, and Quentin Tarantino are wizards when it comes to dialogue, but I feel like if you can tell a movie visually as possible, I mean, that's why I I, kind of lean more towards it. Despite the fact that Sidney Lament, like I said, is one of my favorite filmmakers and a lot of his movies are dialogue-heavy. Dialogue can be drama because any like as long as it's conflict, it's fine. Yeah. But I think that's why I loved um, Dunkirk so much because Nolan was aping so much silent era techniques in the making of that, especially as well as early Hitchcock. And yeah, so I gotta watch more silent cinema. Well, that's and it, the thing is too uh, now because we're full hundred plus years past that. Yeah. People. I think it's it's almost it's like we're like so hipster being like oh well have you seen this silent movie yeah it's very pretentious to be like I really love this movie but at the same time it's like no no like your favorite movies all started from this which is I mean going back to Singing in the Rain there was a huge thing and they were going from silence to the talkies and it, it was a complete shift in the industry and you would think people would find that super relevant now and be able to see that but I I also think in the age of Netflix and streaming and stuff like that. These are too hard, too complex. These are not binge watch. You know, you can't just, I'm going to throw on a whole bunch of silent movies. And no, like, there's a lot to them and there's a lot of mental work involved in that. And so I feel like watching them becomes almost like a chore to most people. Mm-hmm. And I wish we could get back to that a little. I'm not saying, because I definitely do love dialogue driven stuff. I, yeah. The more clever a movie, the more I respond to it. But there is there is just something special about old school movies. Yeah, it's actually kind of scary to think that it came out like a hundred years ago. Yeah, like that's like holy shit. Yeah, and it just it's like I just marvel at the creativity of that. Or even you think about really how old movies actually are in the grand scheme of things. Movies are not that old. No, I mean grand scheme of things. No. Yeah. So as an art like, form, yeah, it's not as that an old. art form compared to painting, sculpture, and it's only been poetry. Like yeah, that. and it's even younger to be even accepted as an art form. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. 
and so how many changes there but then they put in the context of like human life on earth and like it's like it's a couple blinks of an eye the human race and everything so but anyway uh you're number seven i I won't take too long because you pretty much talked about this already because my number seven is jaws oh sorry no no worries (laughs) Uh, we've talked about this on a standalone podcast as well, but we also talked about this, uh, we talked about one of my favorite scenes in Jaws in, uh, I forget what Harry Potter podcast we did. Well, I think um, it was Prison of Azkaban where we realized. No. Oh, no, it was, it was Goblet. Mm. I think it was Goblet of Fire because I was relating, uh, the mayor of Amity to, uh, Cornelius Fudge, which is still one and one. I mean. Well, you got the Phoenix. Because because he was so he was such a denier in yeah. Order of the Phoenix Everything's until fine. Fine. Yeah. It was, yeah it was yeah until or, he comes yeah. literally face to face with Voldemort in the ministry. Yeah. You yell Barracuda, Pugo, huh? huh? What? what? Now you, you yell a shark. shark. You got yourself a panic on the Fourth of July. I want that suit. I, I want need, that suit. I, I want that anchor suit like jacket so well. Deja vu because this is exactly what you said in that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you both geeked out on the suit. Dude, how awesome is that suit, th- 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 that jacket, I would, though? I would rock the shit out of that. Me too. If, I mean, fuck out. We're all getting matching suits. Fuck but it. also, like, okay, I know there's something that we could, we could possibly do this this summer if we have a free night. Bring ourselves a new... Oh, wait, sorry. Continue. What were you thinking? No, wait. I know wait. exactly what you're talking about. You've talked about this in the past. And you you go for it, and then I'll tell you what I think. <laughs> uh, even if we just bring a laptop to the beach with batteries, we watch Jaws on the beach. All right, I was going to say, can we find one of those ones where it's like open water, where you're in a tube and yes. you're watching Jaws, because I really want to fuck Does anyone know that. a pool? Does anyone know someone that has a pool? I wanted to do it when Larry was living down here, because he he's a huge fan of Jaws as well, and like we would do it in his pool or Let's something. Let's go to his where well, he doesn't he live here on the island anymore. Yeah, but where does he live? We can visit him. He lives in Schenectady. He's fucking landlocked. Ah, uh, fuck. Yeah. Unless we're going to go with the Y. You want to go swimming around the, the YMCB? <laughs> can you imagine? There's other things swimming in that water at the Y. I mean, that I did learn how to swim in the Y, so... Yeah. Not the cleanest of places. Nope. But yeah, I won't spend too much time on Jaws since we talked about it, but yeah, Jaws... Number seven for me, and I love this movie. We actually talked about that. I appreciate this movie more than I appreciate uh, Jurassic Park, and I love Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm. But Jaws, I feel like, is just so much... It's also just amazing that this movie got even off the ground by how much problems they had in the production. And I do refer back to one of my favorite uh, documentaries on a bio channel about the making of Jaws. Mm -hmm. It it has... That... Show, revealed everything. Yeah. And it was really, like, jarring to think, like, this movie destroyed the box office. Yeah. And they were going to fire Spielberg at almost every point. I mean, it's the, it started the trend with Spielberg. He never directs the last shot of his movie. Yeah, because he thought he was going to get waterboarded by his crew. Yeah. And so everything else, he's like, nope, we'll set it up. Peace. Yeah. So. And my favorite story about the, the behind the scenes is when the orca um, starts singing unintentionally and there's an old sound man with the sound recorder the nagra like, yeah, like Spielberg goes, save the cast member save the cast member and, and this ancient sound man in Richard Dreyfuss' eyes he's got the nagra above his head <laughs> and he screams out to the boat that's sending a rescue is over fuck the actors <laughs> save the sound department save the cast save the cast there goes sound yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean hell even they've lost cameras in the shooting even like hell that's the one cool thing about film cameras like you drop a digital camera in the water, you're done. 
they've lost cameras in uh, Jaws, but since like, oh, we got water in it, but like it's a chemical base. Is like it, 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 like you can save it, and they, even in Dunkirk, they drop a they lost an IMAX camera in the ocean at one point. <laughs> they were to fish it out, but save the negative. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean that, that's the one benefit of the photochemical process of it of being versus digital. But we're not getting my film versus digital soapbox right now. All right, but, number seven, Tim. Now I have a machine gun. Oh. Ho ho uh, ho! Damn it! I gotta have a Christmas movie on here, and it's not my only holiday movie on my list. And it's, oh, is it? It's, it's probably my number two favorite action movie. It is the hero's journey personified. It's John McTiernan firing on all cylinders. Is one of the best performances from Bruce Willis, Alan Rickman. Love Alan Rickman. Um, bless you. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Ellis, Hans. Booby on the White Knight. And of course, it's him. He voices Arthur Reeves in uh, Batman Mask yeah. of the Phantasm. It, I mean, Jean de cinematography. I mean, like, the best There's thing, a lot going for this movie. Yeah. And, and, like, one of the cool things that there's three filmmakers specifically that John McTiernan, David Fincher, and Spielberg do. They're always aware of middle ground, for, foreground, middle ground, and background action. They'll, like, and if they're going to shoot a close-up of an actor, they won't usually do – not usually just do a single of the person. That's the only thing in the frame. They'll do an over-the-shoulder instead. Or they'll frame something in the foreground and so they give these things more depth. It's very evident that is in, in this movie as well. The setup of the action set pieces, they are done very slow. It's mm-hmm. like so you know the geography of where everybody is, especially the moment when uh, – McLean's on the roof and he's backing up as the two guys are flanking him as um, Carl's on the top of the roof. Yeah. And he's walking across. And he's like just waiting for him to come across to the corner so he can take him out. Yeah, I like uh, – I do – I love the sequence. And the movie does set up landmarks that the audience can follow. Yeah. Like the, like the, like the nude pick in the service, uh, the service corridor. You know where he is. Yeah. And, 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 and it's like it, his safe point too. Right. He's just like – Hello, girls. And that we know all the upper low floors are under construction still. Yeah. Um, Short. The, the class. class. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. We need some more FBI guys as the helicopter comes tumbling down off the roof. It's... Welcome to the party, asshole. Um, it's the greatest... Oh, well, welcome to the party, pal. pal. I mean, it's the greatest use of probably Beethoven's music in a movie. Oh with the old joint, with the vault opening and just like... You want Hans to get away at that point because he's like he's been working so hard to this, and it's so majestic. You're just a you're just a thief. I am a sexual thief, and I take it. And now moving up to kidnapping, I'd say you you deserve I deserve respect. A little bit of respect. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I I totally blanked on Die Hard. I God this. I honorable, knew this would happen. This I honorable said, mentions list is yeah. growing. I know I am sticking strong to my top fifteen because it's, it's my like, it's fifth after fifteen. It's I like, knew what would happen because I had all these movies in my head and I was like, we're gonna start talking and things are gonna click and it's just funny because you're like, oh, I blanked on this. It's like I knew. Yeah, but I'm not. I'm not altering. I'm not, not altering, altering the, the plan. <laughs> 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 Pray that I don't alter it further. Alan Rickman voicing Darth Vader. Oh my god. Just no. Just no. Now I have a lightsaber. Oh, 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 oh. I find your lack of faith 
disturbing. <laughs> anyway, you have yet to see Die Hard, right? I've seen Die Hard. Okay, did we watch Die Hard together? No, we have not watched oh. it. Okay, because you're being rather quiet, so I thought you were no, being coy yeah, about it. No, I just don't have... The affinity for it? Yeah. No, no, I like Die Hard a lot, but it's not one of those movies that I'm like... We're talking about fucking die hard. It's the best Christmas movie. It's the best Christmas movie. And it's so funny. I can't tell you how many times I get brought up at the bar. People are like, Nikki, is it a Christmas movie or is it not? It's a fucking Christmas movie. movie. It's so Christmas. How Sorcerer's Stone is a Christmas movie. Yeah. It actually is, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they play that shit on fucking ABC Family all the time. ABC Family, which is now Freeform, but. Part do they of that still is their have... fault. No, it's, it's ABC Family got bought out by Freeform. Yeah, but do they still have Harry Potter? No, they bought the rights. <gasps> the rights went over to HBO, so HBO has all of the Harry Potter movies on. on no commercials. Part. Think of it that way. Uh, that's okay. But yeah, I don't know what that... Maybe they'll buy the rights for Christmas? I don't know. Where where am I going to go to watch all my cheesy straight-to-DVD Christmas movies now? Lifetime. Hallmark oh, fuck. Channel. Fuck Lifetime. Hallmark Channel. Hallmark Channel's better. It's a Christmas elevator kiss three. Same dialogue, different people. <laughs> <laughs> You're number six. Uh, my number six is Nosferatu, so just going back to that. So here's another one from the 20s. Um, the I think part of the reason I love this movie so much, one, it's one of the scariest scenes when Nosferatu rises that is practical. It's scary as fuck. And that they were able to pull that effect off in the 20s. How did the, how would how he would they have did. done that? He did it. No, but they, he went from flat to, to straight up. It was up. him. That's, I swear, that's everything I looked. But physically, how is... able to do... It's the same way Michael Jackson was able to lean like that. But he had, he had like a thing in his heel to like... The it was clock like a weighted, yeah. Yeah, so like maybe there's like... But Something important. For the most, people are like, hey, but that, that, part, that is abstract, and that is core. Just like, like because it doesn't up. even seem like he bends at all. He's, no, he's just rigid taught the entire he's way up. It's insane, and it's it's. Too I mean, that's like one of the more fi- obviously that's the one of the famous scenes out of the movie. Yeah. Is, you hear that? And that going him up, creeping up the, up the stairs. stairs. And the whole thing too is that this movie was almost completely destroyed. Because of the Stoker, is that how you say it? Bram Stoker. That was an R. That was Stoker. We all know Bram. It's Bram. That the R is in the first. It's Stoker. Yeah, you're right. So the Stoker estate brought them to court because it's essentially Dracula. Yeah. But without having paid the rights, so it was ordered that the prints be destroyed. So only a few copies actually survived. So I had watched it for the first time in German class. I didn't learn a lot of German, but I did discover a new favorite. No Spaghetti Deutsch. Spaghetti Deutsch nicht so gut. But yeah, that's about all. I can tell you have a hangover, but that's not really that. Useful. Um, Not in the moment. You shitty little children. You would say that. (laughs) It was something I grew up with. That also makes sense. And you know, like, you know how everyone learned the sentence, like, I have a cat in my pants? Well, it's not as funny when, like, a girl says it, because it's like, oh, great. This works. (laughs) 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 It's also probably so angry in German. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, Wait, the mental hospital is what? Krankenhaus? Or is it just hospital Krankenhaus? I think I think mental hospital is Krankenhaus. You know, that that Krankenhaus makes perfect sense. Yeah. Take him to the Krankenhaus. But yeah, so Nosferatu, another one of the old school and I think it just does it it's a it lends a lot to horror, particularly vampire. I hate the remake that they did. 
with the um, Werner Ver- Herzog one, Who with Klaus it? Klinsky as uh, no, no, William wait. Defoe as in Shadow of a Vampire. No, it was full on Nosferatu done again in the seventies. No, it was uh, fuck. Hold on, talk about Mary Poppins. <laughs> Way to fucking spoil it. You remember this is Mary Poppins? My number six is Mary Poppins, thankfully spoiled by Nikki. Well, that's super duper. Um, it's the complete opposite end of the spectrum. I was trying to go make you guess what it would be. Wow, but, but we did bring up Dick Van Dyke uh, a few yeah, times tonight. Yeah, yeah. That's surprising. Fuck Nikki. Sorry. No, keep no, going. No. Keep going. Me or her? You! Okay, well, Mary She's Poppins... She's Paul Stephen now trying to find out the answer. Mary Poppins, number six. Whoopity fucking do. <laughs> yeah, you sound like an irate Mary Poppins right there. Dude, okay. The, honestly, Mary Poppins is one of my all-time favorite movies. I grew up with Mary Poppins. My mom, whenever she needed to do something, she put Mary Poppins in, and I was entranced. Step in Time is by far one of my favorite Disney musical, musical numbers, and oh my god... I love this movie, and I still go back and watch this movie whenever I feel like utter shit. It, it's just such like it just—it's so comforting for me. I mean, just Julie Andrews as Mary Poppins herself. I mean, as you get older, you realize that Julie Andrews is like, even though it's totally lovable, still in this movie, she's a little bit more of a she, a little bit more has like, um, for lack of a better word, has a stick up her ass. So, uh, yes, but it's but it works because they have Dick Van Dyke's character kind of like being like, "Come on, Mary Poppins, let's do that." Come on, and his horrible British accent—it's not just like that. <laughs> you were right, but what you know, you're gonna laugh when I tell you who I thought was in it. I don't know why I always thought John Malkovich played a Nosferatu, at but he some point. he played Murnau in Shadow of a Vampire. So. That's why, and that's why I was like, no, it's not the 79 one, but uh, they're also looking at remaking Nosferatu this year with Doug Jones, and I'm not actually mad at that. Because, because he I, looks like Nosferatu. And I fucking love Doug Jones. Yeah. I've been a fan of his since fucking Hocus Pocus. Oh my god, Hocus Pocus. How could I not put Hocus Pocus on that? Oh, Jesus. I thought about Hocus Pocus, but I was like, I don't Our love it that much. Go to hell! Oh, I've been there. It's quite lovely. What's that sound like uh, when you like drop a bomb and like on like a meme and it's like boom like fuck it's like bomb the show? horn like the horn the bam, 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 bam. yeah thank you that sound I knew you guys could do it I was like come on guys help <laughs> I'm just I'm like I'm like uh struggling here uh yeah you so your thoughts on Mary Poppins you're number six Tim. It's totally it, overshadowed. You're feeling your feelings on the remake coming out with Emily Blunt. I am cautiously ups, ups, uh, optimistic. <laughs> I'm cautiously like, obstacle, like, I'm cautiously throwing obstacles my way so I don't have to see it. I almost sold the costume, Dick Van Dyke's costume for Mary Poppins when I worked at Disney World. Really? Yeah, and um, Sid Cahonga's like a uh, souvenir shop when it was still doing movie memorabilia. How much did that go for? Only $65,000. I can only imagine. I did not complete that sale. Yeah, I'm cautiously optimistic about uh, the new one that's coming out. But at the same time, it's like I'm not exactly – I'm not against Emily Blunt being Mary Poppins. It's just – it's just – I don't know how you beat – I mean, the cast for this movie is, holy crap, star-studded in every way. They even dug up Angela Lansbury to be in this movie. Holy shit. Yeah, I mean... Angela Lansbury's been old since the 60s. Yeah. Sorry to say. Angela Lansbury, an elderly woman. (laughs) (laughs) She's been old since the Manchurian Candidate, guys. 
Where she wrote. <laughs> but they dug up, like, literally everyone. Like, everyone they could from the original movies back, except Julie Andrews. Huh. I'm not sure if I'm, like, a th- uh, Meryl Streep has been on my bad side recently, so I'm not exactly thrilled that she's going to be in it. But as an actress, it's, she's going to give another great performance. Yeah, because she can't um, help but do that. Colin Firth is in this movie, and I love Colin Firth. Yes, because Colin Firth can't do anything wrong. Exactly. Unless, unless you find that we find out he's a douche but i don't think so i, I think he's, he's he's supposed to be a pretty cool guy but yeah mary poppins every time i'm depressed or anything like that it's one of my go-to mo- it's one of uh the one of the two movies i go to to help cheer me up because it just reminds me of that being super young watching this on vhs as a kid and i can't help but think that and then also uh the movie saving mr banks totally loved that too it was mm-hmm. such a great great uh great chance to learn more about it yeah i agree and then I'm looking forward to what they're going to be doing with uh, the the one about Winnie the Pooh coming out. Yes. Yeah. Um, so my number six, I'm a Dying Wool Hitchcock fan, so I had to have one in my list. So it's got to be Rear Window. It's my favorite Hitchcock film. I mean, it's possibly my favorite Jimmy Stewart performance. I mean, I love him in this. I love him in Mrs. Smith Goes to Washington and even in Rope. And, of course, um, It's a Wonderful Life. But, like... If I was going to define what a starlet looks like or what a, like a beautiful like Hollywood actress is, my mind immediately goes to Grace Kelly. And it's her introduction. Grace Kelly's amazing. When it's it's Je- it's Jeffrey's like he's in his he's in his wheelchair obviously and he's asleep and she leans down in slow motion is that giant close up of her and her perfect blonde hair. I mean it's like you can't like there's so many people like I fell in love with her right then the first time I saw it and how there's so much depth to – there's so much going on in the background of that movie because it's, uh, it's meant to be like a real-life city block that's going yeah. on this time. And the the nurse, I, I, I always forget her name and like that she's so sarcastic and witty and she puts Jeffries in his face for being such a peeping Tom. Um, I've written some other stuff that I've kind of ripped off the ending to with, like with the uh, – when I did my – when I wrote my Batman fan film – that I never made, but like the like one, the main character uses the same technique that um, Jeffries does, or using the flashbulb to try and blind, temporarily blind the attacker from uh, approaching. The score is fantastic. Um, it, it is just, it's another thing that like I must see. I, I, I had the opportunity to see this on the big screen on 35 millimeter film. Mm-hmm. I just have had to go on to see at like 10 o'clock at night to do that. So it had been like three in the morning when I was getting home yeah. on the train, and it was just like I was a pussy. And I didn't go. I should have gone, but I, I would have gone by myself. Like it's like yeah. it's one thing to even go to the cinema center by myself. It's another thing to get on the train, go in the city by myself, walk on down to. It's a you know, commitment. Yeah, yeah, it's more of a commitment. Then. Go down to the film form, and then. Because if you're like if you're just done with a movie that at Cinema Arts Center, it's like it's not that long of a drive to home. No, it's twenty minutes for me to drive, and like that, I'm like, all right, it's. If I'm, I'm probably going to cab it back up to Penn Station, I do not trust myself walking around like that late or early in the morning in the city, even if it is in Manhattan. I've done it. Before. I've done it once or twice before. It's, mm-hmm. it's not not solo. I've never done it solo. Uh, I've done it solo. It, it's but I've only done it in the winter time, so there's nobody out. Yeah. Right. It was. I think it was in October at this point when it happened. You would have people out then. Yeah. Um. So yeah, and I and I kick myself, so I always keep an eye out to hope for a chance to see it on the big screen. And, yeah, I absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
We made it to top five. Top five. And I'm going to be totally honest with you. I think my top five has never changed. My top like five has kind of shifted around a little bit. And oh, one last thing I'll say, Rear Window. How I was introduced to it is because my granddad got me the Hitchcock Universal Collection on VHS from when I was like seven or eight years old. So I saw Psycho. I saw this uh, Rear Window. I saw Rope, uh, The Birds when I was a yet very young age. And it's pretty much the same, the Blu-ray collection that we've, I've broken out a few times when we watched Shadow of a Doubt. Yeah. It's that same collection. Yep. But it was in VHS form. You're number five. Uh, no, Nick, you're number Wait, five. Wait, here's my, do we want to do honorable mentions now? No, I think we're going to do, do that before so number one. one. Before number one. Okay, I was just, I'm like, yeah, yeah, so no, you're good. It's a good time. Um, so, have either of you seen Do the Right Thing from Spike Lee? Yeah. No. Radio Rahim. The whole scene about love and hate. It's one of my absolute fucking favorites. I want those rings so bad. It's just I, I love everything about this movie. I just love the feel. I love the tension. You feel the summer heat. and you, Yeah, I, you sweat watching that and movie. And, like, when everyone's in the camera, just spewing out every racial obscenity and all. And just, you get this powder keg that everyone's living on. And I think it's just such a, a massively done movie. Um, it, this one, I, is another one. I found it in film class. Um, I don't know how I ever missed it, but I just think from start to finish, it is probably one of the most entertaining movies to me. Um, and that has such a, a powerful message that it's not, there's, not really a lightheartedness about it, and yet it doesn't come up like you're not. Even like the last scene, like is almost like, a, like I think the last scene is intentionally kind of like jokey because you need to do yeah, un- break it. Yeah, you had to like they especially have, have the kind of comic relief. Yeah, yeah I'm like, re- of them owing they owes um, Sal owes what is what's the character's name is Mookie. I think I think that's. Uh, I'm like I may sound I'm Mookie, racist they're, right they're, there. They're, Mookie played by Spike Lee. Mookie, yeah. <sighs> To say who that like, is. I think so, but now you're making me doubt myself. Uh, well, he's like he sat owes the money. Like, like you needed that reprieve. How? Because yeah. when the the pizzeria goes up. Yeah, and just the whole. Um, I mean, the whole boop up, uh, boop up, beep up, <laughs> boop boop up, <laughs> Mr. Krabs robot, beep, boop, boom, beep. box, the boom box. I'm getting tired. Um, it just everything. I think it's just D motherfucker D. The city culture that's. That's just represented in that. I think is is just unparalleled, and I just that ending line from Radio Rahim's like monologue about love KOing hate, like, ugh, gets me every fucking yeah. time. Now I haven't heard of this movie. I'm reading like the synopsis, and I'm actually not understanding the comedy. It's considered a comedy drama. It's considered a comedy drama the same way that Get Out is considered a comedy uh, horror movie. So is it is it comedy in like the Greek sense where it just has a like a more of a upbeat no, ending? No, there are there's there are comedy. jokes in there. It's written in that way, but it's written in such a realistic way. Um, like they're experiencing real tension, but it's still people living their life. So it's not like they're miserable. Um, but there's just this racial tension that it just was so the norm, and um, it's the same. Like you know how. Um, Oh my god, it's... What's his face? Spike Lee? No, get out. Um, Jordan Jordan Peele. And I'm like, it is Jordan, right? Um, So the way that Jordan, when they said what genre is get out, he said it's it's a documentary. 
that's the feel that you get from Do the Right Thing. So it, it doesn't make I can see looking in on it that you don't understand why it would be listed as comedy and drama because it doesn't it's like what yeah, because everything looks like it's pointing towards drama yeah it, but, but there I, are there are laugh out yeah. moments in there okay okay and um i think one of my favorite like jokes is when oh what's his name gets his his shoe gets scuffed up oh man which the thing is the guy like if you look at where he the dude walks from it's he didn't scuff up the man's shoe no and I love when he's like, you just moving in here and everything. Like, like gentrification. Like, I was born in Brooklyn. Ah, the whole crowd just like, walks away. Everyone's <laughs> just like, oh, we can't even do anything about this now. Yeah, I I definitely want you to watch it, Dakota, because it's something so... I think it's just so out of the wheelhouse of everything else he's seen. You said you saw in a film class. Was the, the conversation discussing it a little bit off? Kind of tense a little bit I to some students. I was worried it would be more so, but it was a very intimate class. Um... So that's the thing. I think if it was a different class, it might have been more so. Uh, especially the climate. It's not today's climate. We're looking, you know, got a good five years back. And while there's still... I'm not saying, oh, oh my God. But that now I think it would have been more awkward, if that makes sense. Yeah. Just a, just a lot going on in 2018. Versus I mean, back in college, I took a sociology class. And the movie that we watched was uh, Crash. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, that, so that's the first thing I'm thinking about when I'm reading through this. So the thing is, that's too... It's Crash meets... Oh, fuck, I need a comedy. Because Crash is too heavy. Yeah. There's, like, the, that's the thing. This is... There's almost a campiness about it. I, I don't want to offend anyone with this next comment. Uh-oh. Crash meets Welcome to America? Coming to America? Coming to America? With Eddie, Mur- Eddie Murphy? Because yeah. he's in Queens? I think that's a little too intense, but you're on the right. I, like yeah, I said, it, I, like, I prefer to say, I don't want to offend it, but that was like first yeah, thing. And that gives a good it, 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 uh, Urban feeling to it, yeah. Because yeah. it's like, here's somebody walking into a different It's Crash Meets Barbershop more than anything. Uh, yeah, that's more what I would go uh, with. I haven't seen I Barbershop. Would, yeah. I would agree with that. Okay. Because you think of a small business as kind of like a focal point of... The an African American culture where they kind of like live and breathe from. There's a lot of shooting, you know, shooting the shit and stuff okay, like gotcha. that. Yeah, it's very. Yeah, even like Friday, how even Friday, Friday yeah. has it's very funny, but there's also really real points in it. Yeah, um, and I think that's do the right thing sets that tone. Right. Gotcha. Um, like I think like I, I think like two. It's very similar to it. It's like Boys in the Hood. That's more. That's heavier. Now we're going heavy again. Yeah. That would like Crash would be in that ballpark of Boys in the Hood. Yeah. Okay. And like Friday would be like kind of like the counterpoints that I mean. I mean, I really do think Get Out is a good counterpoint, like a, not counterpoint, a point of reference if we're going back, um, because I think there. There are elements to get out that are very funny. Yes. Especially, you know, the best friend that's the like, best PSA friend is, agent the, is so funny. He is and hilarious. And then it's also like, wait a minute. Like, she's even fucking separating her cereal yeah. from the milk because you don't mix the colors with, with the, the whites. White. It's fucking genius. I people And I always find it really funny when people come into the bar and they're like, and it, I really thought Get Out was overrated. And it's always like a 45 plus year old white man. My issue with it is that 
You don't mind if I spoil this, do you? Yeah. I'm probably pro- I'm probably not going to watch it. If you were going to watch a horror movie, though, this would be it because it isn't a it's not true blue horror movie. The first two acts are like like adds unbearable tension into it, but it's not like in a scary sense. It's more of a social sense. It's and like, you're like, like what the fuck? It's more of a what the fuck than like. Ah. Yeah, okay. it's kind of, it's kind of sitting there uncomfortable. It's not a movie that I will probably actively go out of my way to watch, especially on my own. Let's gotcha, like yeah. that, so you could spoil away. Movie um, night. Oh, my, my, I'm sorry, Tim. Yeah, I keep okay. getting into this. No, um, my my only issue is that I figured since like we've seen like the wife or the mother like doing like hypnosis, I thought that would have been that's what like she like he would lose his identity via that, not brain transplant. Not it's a fucking Frankenstein. I felt, movie. I felt like though hypnosis wouldn't have been enough. Just to truly steal your identity and like living behind your eyes and you can't do anything about it. But, no. I just felt like they needed to take it one step further. I it's almost it's Frankenstein, but it's also like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Kind of, but I feel like even and though, I like the fact it's like split, like you literally like they're there still and screaming, yeah, trying desperately, and yeah, like the, they the, can't do the, the party. Who's like he's like he starts has a nosebleed because yeah. of it. I mean, I like how it went to like act it out for you. Yeah, nosebleed. Uh, um, <laughs> But I feel like I understand, like except the fact that the father is a neurosurgeon and everything. But I just feel like, and I think it needed an element of gore, and you cannot get that from hypnosis. I think if there wasn't any blood, you could have cracked open his skull and removed yeah. some of his brain. But then it would have been like Hannibal territory, like oh, let's eat some of yeah, his brain. Yeah, and that's what I don't think you wanted to go with. I think that the emphasis was supposed to be more on all of that tension. Yeah, and that's. I mean, I can understand that being your hang up, but I still think no. But I also, I, but I have like. That's like the only like hang I had with it. Um, I think he chose the right ending to go with it because mm-hmm. it had a much darker ending, where he actually is arrested and he gets charged and he gets thrown in prison. Like that's the original ending. And, oh my like, god, I'm so glad he didn't go with. Yeah, they shot it, but like no, it has to be his friend showing up, and it's like, how do you know? Because a motherfucking TSA, like you needed that. Yeah. I'm so happy that's the ending of it. It's going back to this that you need something. If you hand people, if it's a heavy-handed message with no reprieve, reprieve, too much. You leave the theater too much. You're not thinking at that point. You're like, eh, that was too much. It's that sledgehammer that Dakota mentioned earlier. Um, but I think by having it on that light, like, oh shit! But that ending, I it, think may, it, it makes it more palatable. Mm-hmm. Like you think even Schindler's List, it doesn't end on. It ends on. <laughs> it's I know. Funny, it's, he should say that on my list. I'm sorry. <laughs> It ends on hope. It it, it it ends on the people coming together oh my and everything. God. The and, ending to Schiller's. Oh no, but also like I could have sold the car, <laughs> I could sold the pen. Like, oh my that. god, stop talking about it because I got to tell you all about this. Okay. In like Three, five, five go. minutes. <laughs> okay. Well, once again, it goes from super dark and serious to bubbly and uh, bubbly and nice with me. I kind of like that, though, because it seems to be worth But I anyway. feel like it's such a letdown because, I mean... No, I had this movie on my list. Yeah, number f- my number five is Finding Nemo. Oh. I love this movie. Um, it is the... Before I reach for Mary Poppins, I reach for Finding Nemo whenever I'm, like, sad and depressed. Mm-hmm. It, Even though it's, like, the oddest movie to pick you up because... I mean, the ending's happy, but it's kind of a sad movie a little bit. Um... 
I mean, he lo- obviously the father loses his son, but it's, it's the fa- son saying, I hate you, and then gets taken away. It's like, well, well that's what? what's so what? real about it. it too, it's very real. It's, and that's, it's human experience, but in fishes. I love that. The colors in this movie, from an artistic standpoint, the colors and everything in this movie are yeah. great. Um, I love this movie. I can quote this movie, like, line for line. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. But it's not just the just keep swimming. I no, mean, I know even all the, of it. I, even the fish in the fish tank in the doctor's office are bubbles. so memorable. Bubbles, bubbles, I say that bubbles. sometimes at work and people look at me like I'm like, I, I've got 15 heads in this guy. One of, <laughs> I'll wait, you tell your story and then I'll tell my story. One of the most quotable lines in this movie, to be honest with you, is the big blue. What's it like? Um... Big and blue. <laughs> I knew it. I, I, I love that line. <laughs> so, so this guy, um, it was the day that I got flowers sent to the bird. Oh, yeah, yeah. So this guy came in and, it, and they had warming. He's kind of creepy and stuff. And he goes, hey, uh, if things don't work out with the person that sent you flowers, maybe me and you could get sushi. And I literally <laughs> go, fish are friends, not food. And the hair flipped away. <laughs> And, like, people get such a kick, you know how picky I am. So when people are like, well, do you eat fish? And I'm, I'm always like, fish are friends, not food. I'm like, finding Nemo. Change my life. <laughs> not that I ever ate fish before. Yeah, but, no, uh, but to be honest with you, it, this does have um, this does have a lot of sentimental value to me as well. Um, because, not just because I grew up with this movie and it's my go-to. One of, it actually was the... It was real subtle, lady. <laughs> you, you, both of you can never fucking bastardize me about that bathroom break I took many, many times. Why I went quiet for solitude? I pissed a gallon of, uh, out of myself right there. <laughs> I'm just saying. Don't fall get, in. Um, <laughs> um, one of the best dates I've ever been on was uh, to the re- Finding Nemo in 3D re-release. Right. Um, Did you want to go to the top of Mount Wanahakalugi? <laughs> Mount. What a hug and loogie. Shark bait. Shark bait. And William Defoe. Once again, great in this movie. Yes. But going back to that. that Never stopped me. Scar in the side. Oh my god. So good. So good. And it's my sister Flo. Hi Flo. Flo. Hi. How are you? Don't talk to her. She's crazy. (laughs) And then, uh. There's so many times my sister Stephanie will say escape. Oh, it sounds like oh escape. Actually, oh, another one of my favorite lines of the movie is uh, Pink the um, the starfish. Yes. And just, good morning, everyone. The Every- sun is shining. The tank is clean. And it's, the tank is clean. The tank is clean. I um, when I went to uh, my ba- the bachelor party for my friend uh, Dan, we were in San Francisco, and the first thing I sent everyone was the a clip from that to, for the start of the day, and it, I, I, I thought it was hysterical. No one else got it, but I was like, I had to send it because I was like, I felt like that was perfect. But that one date uh, with uh, my ex girlfriend Vicky, seeing Finding Nemo in 3D, and we just quoted the entire movie. We were by ourselves in the theater, and we just t- like quoted the entire thing the entire time. It was um, one of my the most if I could ever have a date like that again, I would do it in a heartbeat. Let's put it like that. Because that, to me, was one of the best dates I've ever been on. And let's that- just be honest. The reason we totally talked about this so much is because me and Tim needed a bathroom break. 
No, that, 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 that's him, or they're all brought tears in my eyes, honestly. Um, like, just say no, because otherwise I think we would have moved on. No, because I, I felt my bladder collapsing in on myself right that's, there. I literally said to text, like, I'm like, we're only on movie six, and I really have to <laughs> Zach texted me, can you bring home food? I'm like, yeah, I probably have another hour of talking. <laughs> that's why I've been trying to keep my things brief, but I'm like, that, that's impossible I, I, for me. Yeah, I, I can't shut up. It's not our thing. No. I'm, I'm sorry. It. It's okay. I mean, f- like I said, find- Finding Nemo has a really special place in my heart. I'm sorry. No, you don't, never have to apologize to anything, that you, especially these movies that you enjoy. The spe- uh, in the top five, there's no apology. Yeah. No, no apologies needed. Um, number five, it's, be, it's finally... Be. Uh, Go ahead, Tim. What's your number five? I was subtle. <laughs> <laughs> and your number five, Tim. My Western, The Good and the Bad and the Ugly. Ooh. Oh. I, ha- I had to get a Western in there. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, you goons. <laughs> I mean, you could argue if Once Upon a Time in the West is probably a better Western or not, but I think it just, for entertainment value. Almost nothing more iconic than good or bad. Music, I mean, the cinematography, Clint Eastwood, Eli Wallach, Lee Van Cleef. I had not seen it until I took a Clint Eastwood class. You took a, there's Clint Eastwood mm-hmm. classes? I went, what? Oh, deed on Clint Eastwood, though. Now, like, I was like, I need a break from Clint Eastwood. Did you watch Play Misty for me? Um, We did watch Play Misty. We watched it Beguiled as well. Oh. Well, oh, wherever we got that. You got it right. Um, but yeah, no. I took it, and I would have taken a Scorsese class, but I. But if it was mainly kids and those dumb dog. What? If it was Bill's Billy yeah, Kissing yeah, a Dumb Dog. No, I just dropped that. <laughs> oh. Um, I feel like it is, it is a perfect evolution from, like, the Westerns from, like, John Ford, Howard Hawks, and uh, Anthony Mann. And it is with its own flavor. I think the ecstasy for gold, when when Tuco is running through this, the gravesite, the graveyard to find um, the grave itself... And this final standoff, like the the, the somebody there's a, there is a mathematical equation to that standoff. There is really? there is a there is it is in a certain time signature, the edits and the music to the standoff of them like going for their gun like building up for them going to the, their uh, shootout. So I did like a twenty minute video essay on it, and like I was. I couldn't sleep one night, and I was like, "This is fascinating." And I was like, "It almost like Invader Zim." Like my eyes were like gigantic, like soaking all of this in. Well, also just for your, uh, back to the ecstasy of gold. See, uh, no, the, just the theme itself. It has a. Re- it's been given a new life in the uh, the Modelo uh, beer commercials, right? Right, Modelo's a beer. Mm. Yeah, yes. Just making sure because I don't drink that beer. <laughs> Modelo's beer. <laughs> I know. It, I know it's beer. I just wanted to make sure I got the name right. Uh, with the remix of Ecstasy of Gold, which is actually a really good remix yeah. of it. But, I'm sorry, go on. I, I think that was actually, I think that commercial, the first time they used it, I think it was actually David Fincher did that for Nike, I think. Really? Um, the first time they saw it, like, because it was the two players, like, as kids growing up, and then they eventually saw each other on the, the field. Hmm. Um, and it's also been, like, it's the entrance to Metallica every time they hit the stage for years. They've been using that as they'll play Ecstasy Go before they hit the stage. Really? Okay. Yeah. I mean, they even did a cover for a Inyo Murakoni tribute album, and they did their cover of it, of Ecstasy of Gold, and it's kind of interesting to hear Metallica do that. Yeah, I could imagine. Um, I, I love, like, the intro. I mean, like, Lee Van Cleef going to that, that, that one um, uh, person to find that information about... Um, the old man? Yeah. 
and just like them just eating food, just sitting there. You oh, know, no, that I thought about the old man after he did that scene. But no, no, I know he shoots him through the pillowcase. Yeah, the, and no, but the, the opening scene, the opening scene, when he shoots him so... and he shoots, he shoots the older son. Oh my god, such a good scene too. Oh, and, I mean, is it sets Lee Van Cleef up so beautifully? Yeah, and then Tuco torturing Clint Eastwood in the desert for making a walk through it. Um, the 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 I, I even like the 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 heart wrenching of when they're in the Confederate prison camp. And the Northerners are playing the singing as they're interrogating Tuco and beating the other shit out of him. The bridge sequence. The bridge sequence is great. And, and then they blow it up at, at the end. It's, That's the, that was the dying wish of that Union captain, though. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah. And then, of course, at the end where like they got the gold and just the camera pulls out as, as Tuco looks up and it pulls out through the, the noose of... Of uh, they're gonna hang him one more time, and then yeah. it ends like you know what you are, blind, just a dirty son of a wah yeah. wah wah wah. wah. Yeah, so. so but I'm gonna be totally honest with you. Out of the Man with No Name trilogy, I feel like the two forgotten movies, A Fistful of Dollars and A Few Dollars More, are actually better. I do like A Fistful of Dollars. A Fistful of but Dollars it's is pretty much great. you, Jimbo, just done as a western. Yeah, but even yeah. but a, a it, few, it's true. But a few dollars more is really good. I mean, Lee Van Cleef is also great in that. As movie. a hero in that, and he best fucking line ever from Lee Van Cleef. This the same train will stop at Tucumcari. This train will stop at Tucumcari. Every time I get on a train, I think of that. I hope you're happy. I want to visit Tucumcari just so I can pull up in a train and say that fucking line. Um, I even love like the standoff when I forget the. Guy like G I A N, I know it's the guy. It's the same bad guy from the first movie playing a different character, yeah. but they even he like Ennio Morricone incorporates the Phantom of the Opera like theme into the, his first standoff yeah. when he like he when he first gets out of prison. They're in that little like warehouse, and, mm-hmm. it's, like, and it's the track is sixty seconds to what? And that version you hear like it's like the build up of the trinket or the sound of the. Watch, yeah, then yeah. they have like the and then it goes further into the theme until he eventually shoots him. Mm-hmm. And the thing is with Sergio Leone, it's all about the anticipation before the violence. The violence is fast. Oh, very fast. But yeah, it's a build. The build up is great. Which is, so, which is so different than what we're used to now. Because now yeah. it's like bones, 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 bones. It's like the glorification of yeah. it. And, but I think it's the one thing that Tarantino has always said he's a huge fan of Sergio Leone. I'm like, well, you could see that in, like, especially in the bar sequence in Inglorious Bastards, and when they all have their guns trained on each other, you know it's eventually going to go up, and the tension is almost unbearable. Or even Hateful Eight. That yeah. tension just drags and drags and drags, and then it's like, boom, 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 and you're like, what? Like, who's hit? <laughs> who's, who's, yeah. who's dying? Who's alive? That was my favorite, because in the theater, these guys behind me when the movie ended, the guys are like, it was good, but there's, like, no action. And I was, like, having, like... That like, scene? Do you, do you not know what, like... <laughs> Tarantino movies, like, yeah. But So, yeah, that's my number five. Nikki, number four. So, Moving number along. four will be Coraline. Um, I'm obsessed. Uh, I have been... Um, so, I've been following Lanko Studios since their creation. Uh, when they were working on this film, I, I watched all of this pre-stuff. Uh, this is probably the quintessential, like... Um, hype movie like I was mad hype and I was not let down I um, mean I still actually get like a little panicky in the spider sequence when other mother turns into like this and that freaks me out um what are you Sarah getting freaked out by spiders now no and it's just so funny that that like just kind of gets me every time um I, I'm gonna be working on a makeup look 
with the other mother. Um, it's fun. I don't remember ever having read Coraline. Um, but the story is right up my alley, and I just remember being so angry when it was coming out, because everyone was like, oh, Tim Burton's new movie, and I was like, no, no, it's not Tim Burton, it's Henry Selleck, they're like, but they said from the director of Nightmare Before Christmas, I was like, I fucking know, I know that. Um, but I love, I love the stop motion, I love the colors that are used, um, and Coraline's just a little badass bitch, and I love that hoe. And I had blue hair and a bob when that came out, so Coraline was me. I I I have not actually seen a movie from that studio, and I feel like really? I really need to. You've never like, seen Paranorman? No. Box Trolls? No. Well, Paranorman Kubo? I've seen. I've, I've been dying to see. I've been dying to see Kubo. Friend Andy's been king on my case. Yeah, I, I want to see, see Kubo really bad, but I have not seen it. But I think that's the only one. Movie night. Yep, that's it. We got so many movies. We have so many movies. Guys, we're going to have to have a little uh, To be honest <laughs> with you, Box Trolls is one of those things where it's like, okay, judging a book by its cover. Same thing with Paranorman. Though I did hear Paranorman is excellent, and I heard Box Trolls was pretty good. Box Trolls was okay coming off of Paranorman. I do like Paranormal, Paranorman more, and I think you will like Paranorman more than you will like Coraline. Really? Yeah, I think uh, you'll respond better to Norman than you would to Coraline. Okay. I kind of want to watch like Frank and Rita and Paranorman back to back, or even Monster House and uh, Paranorman back to back. I think really, Monster House. I enjoyed Monster I House. I did actually really enjoyed Monster House. It's not a movie I would go out of my way to watch again. But if it was on my TV, best friend used to watch it a lot, and we would like even nickname. I can't even remember the characters, but yeah. we would call each other one and one. Um, but yeah, I I think you'll respond better to and Paranorman is very high up there. It's just Coraline is what started it for me. Did you find a button the size of an eye yet? Uh, so one of my customers, Carrie, uh, who's never going to listen to this, but it's Carrie, uh, says she has one. I'm not holding my breath, though. I don't know if I'll get it or I'll get it by the time I want to do it. I think after Mexico I'll, I'll do the look. But I think I'm just going to take it off my coat because I'm going to get a new coat next year anyway. Just take a big-ass button. Um, but I really want to do half... Um, you know, like after the other mother gets to me, and then so be half and half, and I think it'd be really cool. And if I, you know, those head massagers, yes. So I want to try and find that because that really looks like her hand, mm-hmm. and I think that'd be really sick to have that as kind of a prop for all of it. Um, but we'll see. I just haven't done a makeup look in a while, and that's what came to mind. But I was thinking, like, you use a head massager to do like the Bride Frankenstein, uh, kind of, uh, here? Yeah, or at least, or at least part of it anyway. Well, I think um, I like to do split looks because I think it just makes it more dramatic. Yeah. But I think uh, other mother would have to. It's supposed to be so perfect. Yeah. And then, the you know the normal, the real you. Um, but I just I I love I like the dual worlds. I like that they were able to create such a magical yet sinister universe. Um, and then. It, it, there's something to kids' movies that have this level. Like, every kids' movie has to entertain adults, too, because adults are obviously taking these kids there. But when you're able to put adult themes into a kid package, I really respect that because I'm just an overgrown five-year-old, and Coraline does it really well. Actually, there's one movie that I, you guys probably would like. Um, it's not quite Coraline, but it does incorporate both 3D animation and stop motion. Uh, stop motion claymation. Uh, Jeff Bridges does it. Um, it's not nine, is it? I do love nine. Yeah, I I think nine is very underrated, but I also think the hype was 
too astronomical. You throw a Coheed and Cambry song in the trailers, yeah, you, it's what it is. And I think I've mentioned this on podcast before. Um, I that was always a paper I wanted to write about the effects of songs, music, and trailers, mm-hmm. and how that will literally make or break your movie. Yeah. Um, because if you put this, if you get this trailer that's fucking beast, like, um, God, what's a good example? Uh, the movie with Will Smith, and it was all, his daughter died, and then it, they, oh. it came out with the... The least, it was like the one of the newer. Yeah, I know. What, you know exactly what I'm talking. Yeah, about. I know. I was supposed, and the trailers were completely misleading. On so it. the trailer uses Kaleo's, um way down. Yeah, and it's so so powerful. And well, like I like the movie. It's it's predictable and whatever. I did enjoy it. Um, but that trailer fucking sold me, and then it was a letdown. Um, and then I think Rain on Me. Um, with. Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler, which I actually think is very underappreciated too. That's another one with that that use of music, because um, now you're captivating two very different senses, and I think it's it it really is something that's underlooked. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so um, there was a Netflix on Netflix. I I've saw any of this. I think it's a Netflix only movie. I could be very wrong. I think um, you're right. I think you're correct. Uh, the Little Prince. It has Rachel McAdams and Jeff Bridges in it, and also Mackenzie Foy. I'm not sure if she does anything has done anything else, um, but uh, it's such a such a great. Mo- oh, she was in The Conjuring, um, but it's such a great movie because it does incorporate claymation, stop motion action perfectly well with the story and uses it brilliantly, and I. Just the whole Coraline thing. And even yeah, on IMDb, it's like, hey, you might like some of these movies. It is like Coraline, Kubo, um, Secret of Kells, which is a 2D animation, yes. which was gorgeous, though lacking in story. Uh, Leica uh, also worked on Corpse Bride. They did contract work for that, but that wasn't like a... Yeah. It's not there specifically. Mm-hmm. I have an idea for another episode in the future. Our favorite movie trailers. Ooh. Well, that's intense. That's yeah, hard to that's, research that's, for, too. Yeah. Yeah. Just like you go from you like movies you really enjoy, you just start watching the trailers and you start taking notes. It's kind of like the same thing here. But moving on, number four. Sorry. Number four, we go to a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> Star Wars: The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> I love this movie. I almost got into a screaming fight with my manager over this movie this week, actually, because <laughs> she has the balls to say fucking Return of the Jedi is better. I was like, you have no taste whatsoever. But that's not the point. (laughs) That's how serious I take this movie. This movie, start to finish, is near perfect in almost every sense. The acting is great. The cinematography is great. The special effects from 1980 is spectacular. It's 1979 when they're shooting this movie. So it's like, technically, it's shot in the 70s. And you know what? Even like the special editions, it's the least tampered with without all the Star Wars movies, like post, yeah, post, and even the even the edits for it make it a little bit better, especially with Cloud City. Cloud City it makes Cloud City looks actually fast and city. Yeah, um, I mean Lucas didn't couldn't fuck with it enough, enough because there was nothing to fuck with. I mean, you're introduced to memorable character. You're introduced to Yoda, one of the most memorable characters in all cinema. You have the first legitimate lightsaber duel. Yes, there's there was 
I always find it funny, even with the Blu-ray. Like there is a there is a screw up that in the very opening of the movie he could uh, he could fix, but he doesn't. Which Where is that? You can see the microphone uh, of, for Mark Hamill in the scene when he's on the Tauntaun in the reflection of his goggles on his uh, head. You can see the, like the um, well, the he, filter mount on the, the on the shotgun mic. Okay, <laughs> I, I saw that on VHS. I'm like, that's a microphone right there. And like, <laughs> it looks familiar. And I'm just like, even on the Blu-ray, I'm like that is so glaring now. Like, how's nobody noticed this? Or maybe they, nobody's told Lucas, and he's, he's hasn't noticed it yet. But yeah, but, I think it has arguably. The greatest piece of music written by John Williams. Uh, John yeah. Williams at his best. Yes, I mean with everything. I mean, I mean, obviously the asteroid field is the best score out of this thing. Uh, if you don't count Yoda's theme, Yoda's theme is awesome. Uh, or like him using the Force to lift the lift the X wing out of the swamp was even that's even powerful. And even some I mean, of the, like the message behind it, like oh size God. matters not size um, matters not do like, or do not. There is no try. I know it's like it's being to the ground. It's made a joke of, but the, I the don't ideas it. behind it. I can't believe it. Are you saying that work? Is why you fail. Well, you, your job is very Star Wars centric. Well, yes, that's true, and I'm the only one. Well, actually, I I have to touch base up with Gabe and see if it's true. But I'm the only one that doesn't truly know uh, Star Wars that well. But when we're talking about cans and bottles, I'm always like, you, you know, it's do or do not. There's no try, yeah. and like people fucking lose their shit sometimes over it, and other people just kind of look at me like. Another thing I have an issue with my manager. She tries to quote Yoda all the time because Yoda's her favorite character. She can't even get do do or do not. There is no try right. What did she say? She can't, she said an invader's voice once, and it was botched. It was just botched. Her smoking habit. It, it was completely botched. The point where I'm like, I don't believe. I think your whole Star Wars fandom is a total. F- you sit on the front of lies. It's it's a front. I don't give a shit. You know nothing about this fucking series. You're a fucking liar. <laughs> I, I like your last day there. Call her out. Call oh her out the God. carpet as you're being. You let you left you'd be out like, of there. It was a pleasure working. Just kidding, motherfucker. You don't but, even know Star but Wars. But my manager also treats the Empire Strikes Back like it's the second worst Star Wars movie out of oh, the Lucas entire. Oh, Star was the worst. He's on, he's on crack. No, she's on crack. Everyone's on fucking crack. Like he's an exception, and then like like you're not gonna yeah. cut him. Some no, black. but it's our. It, it, I know you are a uh, um, a, a New, New Hope, Hope. Fa- fan. That's your number one Star Wars movie. But a lot of people do treat Empire Strikes Back as the number one Star Wars movie. Yes, and I'm no exception because this movie is very very good. Yes, I mean, I'll never take anything away from it. I have my issues with it, but. I think it's gorgeous. I, it's a better looking movie than New Hope. I'll say that. It does. I heard that time. It also doesn't. It, it also has a bigger budget too. Much, and um, and also, also they were able to between a New Hope and Empire, better their uh, better uh, all the uh, special effects. Yeah, because like it, because after success, like yeah, like ILM kept working and Ben Burt kept making archives upon archives of sounds to be used. Yeah. And uh, the, the sound of Slave One, and I, I, another podcast I listen to, and I know fans who listen to the show love it. It's called Hey, Do You Remember? Um, they're talking about they reviewed Empire Strikes Back. Uh, was it was it this past? Yeah, I think it was this past December. They, they usually do a they usually do a Star Wars movie around Christmas because now Star Wars movies are coming around Christmas. They're talking about the Millennium Falcon docked onto the Star Destroyer at one point. Like, mm-hmm. like how funny is this? Like, a crewman just opens up his blinds and all of a sudden he's used to see his face and all of a sudden it's just like, it's just Chewbacca's face. He's like, Shh. It's like a Garfield toy. It's yeah, just like, it's like, 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 I used to have a view. 
And he goes to his manager like, there's somebody out there. Like somebody go t- take a – and nobody heard the clunk as it, it, it docked to it. But yeah, no, it's uh, totally, uh, it, for the sake of comedy, it's funny. Yeah, I actually, to be honest, never thought about that. But that's like the whole suspension of disbelief. Oh, yeah. Plus, they're kind of in space, so it's a vacuum. So there won't be a – well, there won't be a conjunct on the outside, but inside there definitely will be. They'll feel the force of yeah. one thing being connected to the other. Yeah. Um, but no, actually, out of all my movies on this list, this is the most – this is probably the one I will probably defend tooth and nail over. Because, uh, I mean, even my top three I can understand. But number four, Star Wars Empire Strikes Back, I will fight tooth and nail to – I will argue this point as it being the best Star Wars movie. He's got the best-looking Stormtroopers on Hoth, the scariest-looking oh Stormtroopers. God, they are badass. Yeah. <laughs> and I did go <laughs> – I just remember talking about uh, – <laughs> remember we were talking about the Battle of Hoth and, like, you bet playing devil's advocate. Like, what happens if they just cruise a Star Destroyer right into the base? And I – Freaked the fuck out on you. Yes, you did. And then went toll uh, Reddit troll. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's, that's how emotional I get with this movie, though. <laughs> so, yeah. Number four, Tim. <laughs> I wanted to make it as uncomfortable as possible. Uh, sticking with science fiction, it's Back to the Future. It's, it is... It may be the first movie that affected me in a way, like, along with probably, like, Jurassic Park and, like, Batman 89, it's something that I want to make something that affects me, like, how this movie has. Mm -hmm. And the Doc and Marty relationship, how Zemeckis photographed the Dean Cundey's cinematography, Alan Silvestri's score. The movie's not that big, but it's Alan Silvestri's score that sells it. And the moment, the, the score that hits me the most, other than... The climax of like racing against cl- racing against the clock, literally to the clock tower. I think that that section of him, Marty racing to there as Doc is trying to get the cables working and everything. I think it's the, one of the best pieces of edit, edited sequence of any movie, even action sequence. I think is just wonderful. My favorite piece of music is when Doc and Marty are saying goodbye, and Marty gives him a hug. And there's the music underneath there, and he says, I'll see you in 30 years. And Marty says, I hope so, because he doesn't know if he can save Doc's life or not. And it's just the camaraderie between the two of them. Um, I think I, I, I realized in my life when it comes to social interactions, I realized I'm much like George McFly before the um, – it, I'm kind of in between with George McFly like before he becomes a man, like a true man and, and another, like when he's stand up for himself because – I'm like, I am a dweeb, I am a dork, and sometimes there's conflict I, I, I have a little problem with. But then at times I'm like, I, I can be very stubborn, I can get, I can cause trouble between friends when I'm really an asshole. I apologize for moments like that. Wow. Sounds like that happened this morning. And I apologize. <laughs> and you know what, like, that, like... I'm so glad I worked out right after that because I was fucking pissed because I like having the ar- imaginary argument well, between the two also, of us. It's funny that you like plan out this argument, but you thought Brianna overreacted. If you were in person, Brianna would have tore you apart, apart. And she actually, she was really nice to me. She was really nice about you because I was like, maybe I'll show him, and I just won't fucking show up tonight. And she's like, I th- that crossed my mind when you didn't respond to the group chat. I'm like. And she, uh, she may not like, show up tonight. Brianna was like, no, you have to go. Tim's lonely. 
<laughs> and for Brianna to say that, that was basically like her Ooh. saying, you're like, like the nicest thing she could possibly say because Brianna, that is Brianna kind of version of a compliment. So she's like, no, you have to go. Because otherwise she'd be like, fuck that hoe, don't go. <laughs> Brianna's mean. So you're lucky that all you got was like, that's fucked up because Brianna could have went off. Um, and then I was sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> if I opened that before Brianna texted me, warning, I w- probably would not be here, to be honest. We'd have some radio silence for a while. <laughs> See what I did there? Radio silence. I, I was waiting for it, now, and I was like, and I was going to dig my fucking heels into it. I was like, no, fuck that. Like, it was a goddamn joke, and you know it. Yeah. And like, and that, and there I, are some things that are not funny. I know. Me. Yeah, it's a, it's a cold fact of reality, but... What you did to her and your puns are not funny. No, whatever. <laughs> what you did to her and your puns are not funny. That's great. <laughs> I like took one second. I was like processing what to come. <laughs> like, I, I was literally pacing up and down here. I'm like, no, fuck her. I, 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 like, I, I was so irritated. I was ready to throw down. Why are you irritated? He's irritated that he fucked up. No, I was irritated that you, like, I thought... I thought the joke was not that bad. I understand it's a phobia of yours. What did I even say in response? Because I was like half a word. No, no, like our friendship would be altered. That's what got me. Oh, our friendship would be altered. Because if I open that without Brianna giving me a heads up, because I trusted you with information, not that everybody who fucking listens to this is now going to get this nice drama. Um, Sip the tea, motherfucker. (laughs) Um, But I trusted you with information. And you threw it back in my face, which is a huge no-go for me. So, that, it's, oh, you're having a laugh, but you're having a laugh at your expense, expense of me. I know. And not in a way, like, oh, we're having a conversation and stuff like that. You would have literally ruined my day if I had opened that and got it. Like, I had a friend extremely afraid of whales. Extremely, like, and I was doing one of those, like, oh, movie, like, this is my favorite scene. This is my favorite childhood movie, whatever. One of them being was Free Willy. So I texted her and I said, I'm going to tag you in something. Don't open it. I want you to see it's going to have you tagged in it so that you can scroll past it. I warned her it was going on my Facebook page so she wouldn't just have it pop up in her timeline. Because there's this thing called common courtesy. She's right, you know. (laughs) (laughs) You back the fuck off there, all right, buddy? Dakota would not choose a side. Or he's, he's no, he's chosen a side. No, he's I'm not choosing a side. I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> she makes a very compelling argument here. That's it. That's all I'm saying. Is and we have established multiple times how petrified of snakes she yeah. is. And it's that's the thing. It's not like, okay, like... It wasn't even a real snake! I had, like, some... Snakes. Neither was the basilisk in Harry Potter! That's true, exactly. I had to fucking pretend the basilisk was a dragon that lost its fucking wings and legs. Like... Okay, there was a whole mental fabrication. I lost my arms place. I feel bad for the basilisk now. Okay. <laughs> I had to and now I'm having a phoenix peck my eyes out. Okay, it's just not a good thing. life. What? I said this was a very hard thing to get over. Okay. And I apologized. I did. You did. Yeah. It was just at the moment I was just like. I just got no, no. I, th- I just think it's funny you had a whole fight in your head where meanwhile I was just like, "Bitch, just no. This could have ended badly." That's all I said. It was basically, this could have ended badly. I said our friendship could have been altered. I didn't say it was over, did I? No, I thought it was over. 
It could have been over if I opened up that fucking thing. <laughs> what are you afraid of, Dakota? You Let's... came this close to ending this. This. I'm, uh, three phobias of mine. Heights, falling, and to be honest with you, the dark. I... That's you embarrassing to that say. Because now he's going to turn the fucking <laughs> off on you. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to say that social... I didn't mean to say social history there. That was not my intention. So I look back to the future. Number three. Yeah, uh, now you know my feelings when the we talked about fucking like, Mary Poppins. I was like, how the fuck did we get to this? I'm like, how did this happen? I don't know how I got back to this. Um, how the fuck did we get back to it? With the DeLorean. For a second, to the like, future. <laughs> No. <laughs> children. I work, I work with children. Don't break. There was a moment that Tim was laughing this hard. And I was like, wow, I wonder if that's what we both look like. And then I was like, that's totally what we both look like. But he's got both of us on a couch. Crying. You're cracking! Nope, I'm not laughing. If I lose my contact again, y'all are dead. It's okay. She has the foresight to keep him in your eyes now. Oh, oh yeah, I've always lost. Okay. <laughs> and coming back down after that pun. Okay, hey, it brings you back. Number? What number are we? You are three. three. Okay. So, <laughs> talking about going from a really lighthearted thing to back Schindler's to- List. <laughs> 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 Uh, Jim from the shock, Jim's shock face in the office. <laughs> That's my reaction there. His eyes gets really big, but yeah. Oh man, I guess we just needed some comic relief before I depress the shit out of everybody. Oh, I guess I'm, I'm glad I'm crying of laughter because all I ever do in this movie is cry tears. I am tears. sweating through my shirt because I'm this, laughing so hard. <laughs> the scene when everyone thanks him and they're like, you did what you could do, and whatever, whatever, and he's like, this pin could have bought ten more people. Not only is that fucking devastating, because they're all like, thank you, thank you for what you did. And he's like, I could have done more. But, a pin is the weight of ten people. And this is one, so I love the movie, like, number three, amazing. The book is even more devastating. So, think of how terrible this movie is when you watch that whole train of women get loaded into the gas chamber only for them to be like just kidding you're going back to the factory and then everybody's like oh look they're here they're coming back from the motherfucking gas chamber they're probably the only people to come back from the motherfucking gas chamber it's devastating and to be in black and white and just have that one instance of color and then have all hope ripped out from you when you see your body on the goddamn thing oh my god it's amazing. It's wonderful. You should want to watch it. I, I think the one thing that's really remarkable at the Schindler's List is that there's a lot of there's I want to say a lot, but there's there's a bunch of comedy in the first act. I mean, yeah. I mean like it, it has to be. You like yes, it's a serious situation, but Liam Neeson's kind of like charismatic, and there are comedic scenes. And that's the thing we're so used to taking. Liam Neeson. Yeah, I forgot I, this. Scene. I preferred, or bef- I preferred Liam Neeson before 
the year 2000. Yeah. I mean, I understand yeah. that after the year 2000, he did lose his wife and he was never the same after that. Yeah. And he just worked. I'm trying to save everybody else on this train. Well, you know what? Like, and Taken is good. Taken is the first good. one. First Taken is good. Yeah. Like, I'll never care. Somebody tweeted, I forgot what celeb, but they're like, Taken 3, really? <laughs> Maybe it's time to get a fucking babysitter. <laughs> 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 and I'm like, oh, damn, that's hysterical. But that's, and uh, Ralph Fiennes. Fines, Fines, Ray Fines, Ray Fines. That's what I said. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that, I never thought they looked alike until that moment. And I love—he's fucking evil in this movie, and that's why his casting of Voldemort was perfect. You're giving him hope, Oscar. That's cruel. Ah, man, this, this was a this was a movie, and that's it, yes, it was. It, <laughs> uh, but you know what I mean. Like this was the. Um, <laughs> what the fuck was that? <laughs> I, I saw your eyes look at your own brain and you rolled the back of your head like that. I'm getting tired, man. I'm getting tired. Nikki is having a seizure. <laughs> More Dr. Pepper. Stat. Someone call the doctor. Dr. Pepper. <laughs> that, was, that was cute. Anyway. But yeah. Mm, thanks. Doctor. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Do we ever? Do we ever tell you the, the oh, complete sidetrack? The mm, doctor thing. So Tim and I are stopped at a Wendy's. And Zach and Zach are stopped at a Wendy's late at night. And Tim's like, "Oh, I'll have it like you know, doing his order." And and he's like, "I'll take a Dr Pepper." Like I have one medium Dr Pepper. And the the girl on the other side of the microphone goes, "Mmm, doctor." Uh, hey, what else? <laughs> and it's immediately oh, it's like. like- Related back to her, but all three of us are like, <laughs> look at each other. We like, Wait. cannot unhear that. And then we'll, I go up and pay, like, here you go. Thanks. Back to Schindler's List. Uh, yeah, nothing to nothing ever to laugh at. I think it's arguably, along with Jaws, it's probably Spielberg's most important movie because of like the Shoah Foundation coming out afterwards and the preservation of history that happened with it um i think it's it's obviously Liam Neeson's best performance it's it started the collaboration between spielberg and his cinematographer janice kaminsky who has used him on every single film since um the yeah. score i think is tremendous I, yeah. I, I the moments that stand out for me is when the women think they're going to uh yes. and and you see the kid just cross his throat as they go towards, yeah. and then they get into a, a factory. You, 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 in your heart, you know what it is, and then you're it just fucking the, like pit. It's it, like you know how in Psycho when the car is sinking and you're like fucking sink, and then you're like, oh shit, I'm rooting for the bad guy. Yeah, like that's literally it's that it's it's that when you're so invested and you're like, oh my god, oh my god, they're they're going to no, he did all this to save them, and now they're not going to be saved, and especially because World War Two is such a pivotal point in world history. I think it just has so much weight. You know, you can look at uh, story like Guantanamo Bay, like stories like that, and torture, it makes sense, and you feel what they're going for and things like that, but something about the Holocaust, there is just this universal, uh, obviously other than Holocaust deniers, because they fucking think the world is flat, but there's something, everybody realizes how fucking terrible it is when you use that in movies. It's it's not a tool, that's the wrong word, but it invokes such an, an a bold feeling. It's unparalleled, if well, you ask me. Well, 
one, it's unparalleled because you think of, um, like, in World War II, Pearl Harbor was a was a sneak attack. It's a horrible event in U.S. in U.S. history. The biggest difference between Holocaust victims and the people of Pearl Harbor, they were all soldiers in Pearl Harbor. They signed up. They know they could be attacked. There was rumors, rumblings about Japanese mobilizing. They kind of knew what was going on. Holocaust victims, it's genocide. It yes. is, yeah. these are and literally ripped children, from their homes. Literally. Gay men, like. Gay men, gypsies, um, people who spoke out uh, out against this stuff. Um, and the then, worst, oh my God, when they're all signing up for their professions and like they're keeping people, they're like, oh, you could do this and you could do that. And he's like, but I'm an English teacher. You don't know how the world like, works. Like, or like oh. I'm a musician. And it's like. And it's like, and they're just like, meh. And yeah. it's because they're not manual the, 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 they don't care. The, the clearing of the ghetto is one of the most, like, ha- harshest things, one of the hardest things to watch because it's it's done so well. It's yeah. done so effectively. Yeah. And Effecti- yeah, effectively is. I mean, the, the moments that have stuck out to me is, like, one is, like, the one kid that runs away and it just, we follow him across the street and just they shoot him down and they continue what they're doing. Uh, there's obviously what when Oscar sees it from the hilltop watching over it and then it was nighttime when the darkness has fallen and everybody who's hidden themselves starts that, yeah that and all you see is the muzzle flashes from the windows with that and, piano score over and top piano of it. like he's playing ba- like uh, Bach or or Mozart over it and it's like just very uncomfortable yeah uh, actually to be honest with you one like the ending scene is tear jerking. What got me even more was the, what Spielberg did with the surviving families, oh, putting the, the rock on him, and then just seeing Spielberg silhouetted uh, next to his grave. That was it Spielberg. I thought it was, I thought it was Liam Neeson. Was that? If it was Spiel, I th- always thought it was Spielberg. But I thought it was Neeson because be I think it's like it's taller than him. I don't know. He, whoever that whoever was, it was, yeah, it was, it was, yeah. This movie, I mean, I. I don't think this movie made my list much like how um, 12 Years a Slave didn't make my list because it's just too – it's not a movie that I would consider watching ever again. See, that's the thing it's, about that. It's exceptional. It's exceptionally shot. It's except, It's an exceptional movie. It's just something I don't think I could ever put I myself through again. I do watch it. I have watched it many, many, many times. But that is a movie – it's like I'm ready to be depressed. I'm ready to feel things I didn't want to feel. And then that's why each time, because it's so powerful. Um, but it's also, it's, I don't want to say escapism, but you're able to immerse yourself so well that it's almost frightening to be able to fall into that world and to feel everything you feel. It's, mm. oh, it's just a really good movie. I actually just popped into my mind too, just talking about the whole genocide and Holocaust thing. Another movie, yeah, let's keep it dark. Uh, another movie that's very well, that depicts it very well, but nowhere near the same caliber, in my opinion, is Hotel Rwanda. I knew you were going I, Hotel Rwanda is one that probably should have been in my honorable mentions because it's the same thing. When they drive over the, the bodies. fucking bodies. Ooh. And that's, I, I'm a big, I love people as much as I complain. I love people. I, I am a big advocate for rights and things like that. It. Those are the movies that I watch, and I walk out like I want to change the world. We should not be living in a world. Well, then, this is, and that it, it's, um, Don, Don Cheadle, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Don Cheadle's performance, and it just you think about too how easy it is to turn a blind eye for stuff like that. Well, it's happening there. It's not happening to me. And now I think that's more out of sight than ever mind. before. Yeah. 
And it, it's... It also, if you really look at the time frame where that's happening on, there was shit going on in Ukraine at the same time, and that was Amer- like I just. But how many times do we hear about genocides we never knew about, like the whole all the, all Armenian the, yeah. genocide? Yeah. So it's like, what? Do, this, oh, oh, yeah, that's really no. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you feel wildly change the world after watching these movies, then the, yeah, it shows that the director did yeah, a great, did a great job great in convincing job. that. Yeah. The two things that always stick out with me from. Actually, it's so weird. I thought about this scene from Hotel Rwanda not too long ago. It's the men at the bar, and they're saying, like, uh, are you, I'm Huzu, and I'm Tusi, and, and, like, they could be sisters. They could be sisters. They're clear as day. Yeah. They, they literally, they, I, they almost could have hired twins, and it would have been, and that's what it is. It's, you think about, so the Aryan race, too, like, you look at, like, some, there were so many people... Uh, was it in Glorious Bastards where she like was dying everything that mm. to try and look blonde? It's like oh, as long as I look like this, as long as I, I can pass as this, but it, it's like uh, oh, 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 it's disturbing. And I don't then, even know where I was going. I like had to stop. No, we, I got to yeah. And the other scene I enjoy is, or it's like when it's Nick Nolte's the UN representative. He's like, I can't do anything. I can't intervene. I I, I can I can try and get people out, but I cannot. I cannot use my armed men to be able to defend him and everything like that. And yeah. he's, he's informing Don Cheadle what he has to do. But, yeah, that's... Uh, well, that's... When you... Uh, like, that scene, that just... Because, like, the whole Turks and Caicos things for me, we were supposed to be in St. Martin. That got annihilated by Irma. If mm. we were in St. Martin, that's what I pictured have happening. Us being in that kind of situation. Because it completely... It, we probably all four of us wouldn't have made it back. Um, and that, that was a huge concern of mine looking back. Um, I shouldn't say concern. That was a huge, like, uh, when you like look back and you, you're thinking like, what could yeah. have happened. Right. Um, and so we were very fortunate in that aspect, but it's, it's and like, imagine like you, you literally stuck and there's nothing you can do. And, and then it was a hotel. It was a hotel. Yeah. hotel. Like, I'm not kidding. But, yeah, no, I, I agree with you a thousand percent. I actually was curious when you said, you know, it reminds me. And I thought you were going to – there's so many very memorable, very good World War II movies, Holocaust movies, things like that. I thought you were going to go with that. I think that's one of your honorable mentions is one, right? Yes. You have the book thief, right? Yeah. Sorry, I am. I keep – Which is the, ex- another great movie, but, Yeah. Um, you're number three. Oh, yeah, it's my turn. Oh, yeah, uh, back to what you're talking about. Uh, How well, long is this episode? <laughs> well, we only have a few more turns, so. And batteries are very low. Oh, God, so let's pick it up then. Uh, so uh, my number three is High Noon, which I brought briefly where I mentioned number 14, Rio Bravo. High Noon uh, with uh, Gary Cooper and Grace Kelly in it is one of my favorite, all t- obviously, number three slot. It has been for a long, long time. It. I saw this in college uh, my freshman year. And it was so powerful for me because this is this is probably the most realistic Western scenario. Like if this was in the U.S. USA, this could have literally happened, where uh, like pretty much a, a convict gets out of prison and he swears revenge against the sheriff who puts him in jail, and he's going to kill him, and he knows that he's going to, and the sheriff knows he's coming back to kill him, and nobody wants to help him except a guy who could not physically help him. Yeah. And how horrifying is that? Yeah. And I mean, a, you, you could be the toughest – you could be John Wayne. And I know the Duke 
made Rio Bravo in response to this because this is how you should have acted. Yeah. There's a difference between how you should act and how you realistically act. Yeah. And I think Gary Cooper performed exceptionally well in this in a realistic way where he's like, he is not running away from this. Mm-hmm. He refuses to run away, yet he is petrified. But he is standing his ground because he is the sheriff and this is the right thing to do because that man is coming back and he's going to terrorize everyone. And you know what? I am okay with Grace Kelly killing killing the, vil- the villain of this movie. Yeah. She can – yeah, she can do no wrong. There's two things that I think about when High Nude. One is that in Once Upon a Time in the West, it's a, Once Upon a Time in the West is very reverential to other Westerns and has Once Upon a Time in the West opened. There's three comics waiting at the train station, waiting that they think they, they're going to meet somebody. Yeah. Lady like, oh, nobody's so but it does show up and it's harmonica who puts a few bullets in them. Yeah. And there's three and there was three coats and there's three Cheyenne men. And there's three Cheyenne men, there were three bullets. Another thing is that High Noon's response it's a Hollywood response to McCarthyism and the Red Scare that it's being like you're being ostracized from the your surrounding culture is because of you're perceived to be one thing. And at least that's it's kind of like in a critical sense that people have been kind of like thought about afterwards, um, and I, I I initially had the feelings that Howard Hawks and John Wayne had. I'm like, oh, it's okay, but then watching it a couple of years later, I'm like, no, this is tremendous and is so much tension in it. The tension builds beautifully. And it's, um, Lon Chaney Jr. is the one who's the old man who wishes he could help him, mm-hmm. but he can't. Yeah. Um, yeah, so good choice, sir. Yeah, I also, fun fact is the most it is the most played movie in the White House, really. Yeah, I mean, pretty much during uh the 60s and 70s, it was the most they became the most played. I could see that, yeah, not thinking about it. Um, yeah, so moving on to my number three, yeah, go ahead. Uh, since you we have another Spielberg movie, and it's E.T., yeah. It it's is, not Spielberg on Spielberg crime. <laughs> it is my favorite Spielberg movie. And, and like I've said it before when we did our Spielberg countdown, I obviously saw it a lot as a kid, but it wasn't until high school where my best friend and I kind of like had a little bit of falling out because he got his first serious girlfriend. And it's kind of like one of those things like, oh, girlfriend or comes into your life and your friendships, you know, your people kind of like – take a little bit backseat because you have a significant other that you want to spend more time with. And it was at a time where, at least within this household, things were getting really bad and I needed somebody there. And so in the story with Elliot finding solace in the fact that even though this person's an outsider, he finds somebody who would love him and accept him for what he is and what he's going through just really resonated with me. I think, I think I said before that the best piece of music that John Williams has written is the Asteroid Field Chase in Empire Strikes Back. My personal favorite is like the the big long fifteen minute suite, starting from when Elliot decides like, no, we're kidnapping Elliot uh, Et and we're getting him back to the ship because we know they're coming. Mm-hmm. And it's the moment that I love. It's when the FBI descends upon the band that's left in the park where they think the kids are still there. They're not there, and D. Wallace walks in the background to the background into the foreground. And then it cuts to the kids on the bikes. It's like the bum, 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 bum. And we got uh, E.T. wrapped up in the blanket and everything. And it culminates with um, them flying over the FBI and going to the forest and have to say goodbye. And Because, you know, life is just, you know, the uh, goodbyes are inevitable. I just, 
it's like it's one of the like two scenes like you can say you can say like I'll be here like just like ET Melee Niagara Falls. That is, it's not your fault from Goodwill Hunting. That'll also do, like, that'll always do it to me. But, uh, yeah, number three, E.T. Um, my number two, I'm not actually going to go that far into because we did a podcast on this, so it's The Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so I, I, I've set my feelings on that. Okay. <laughs> Do you um, have anything to add in? <laughs> I have the Denver. outlier in Nightmare Before Christmas. I am not a fan. <sighs> I admit, I know. I, I think uh, we had a. What? <laughs> I don't like cheesecake, or I don't like cheesecake, so that's probably the reason why too. Um, forward those chain messages in 2008. <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, I don't know. As a kid, I got creeped out by it, by it, and just I have not gotten over it since. So yeah, uh, number two, or number two for me, you've already mentioned it is Batman: Mask of the Phantasm. It's by far the best Batman movie I've ever seen. Um, I mean, Dark Knight comes close. Um, Batman '89 is a good third, but to me. No, they've never done it better than Batman Mask of the Phantasm. And what sucks is it's underrated. It's, oh, it's animated. So it gets shoveled, shoved off to the side and you know, I thought about it ever again. It's, like, it's underrated in part of the general public, but like amongst DC fans or comic fans, like people it's, adore it's, it. Yeah, because it's great. Yeah. It's probably the best origin story that we've got. It's all, to be honest with you, it's almost a little bit better than Batman Year One. I know because it takes better elements. It takes the best elements of year one and makes it their own. Exactly. And, and I, I mean, and you have Paul Dini writing it. You have Bruce produced by uh, uh, was did Bruce Tin direct it or it was a bunch of people like because they did in sections. So it, like a bunch of people wrote on it. A bunch of people like Alan Burnett, Bruce Tin, Paul Dini, like all like Boyd Kirkland, like the usual suspects you would see from the credits of all the Batman animated series was a part of this. Yeah. And Shirley Walker's score. Shirley Walker's score. Uh, I ha- I mean, I listen to that the score time to time driving because it's, I have it on my iP- I, uh, my iPod, and it's great. It's still great. Everything about this movie, I can't. There's so. Yes, I can make fun of parts, but it's yeah. more of a loving way than anything. I think you can do it for any of the movies you really love. Oh yeah, I think it's the the mark of a good movie. Yeah. So, but yeah, I'm not going to spend too much time because batteries, and we already talked about Phantasm. So. Yeah. Tip number two. Uh, John Carpenter's Halloween. This has moved up my list, but I, and I, I obviously covered it at length because Mike and I are doing, our, doing a monthly review of every Halloween movie. I absolutely find it mesmerizing. I can put it on drop of a hat, and I can watch it all the way through. Uh, if you want to hear a full of feelings, go and listen to that for the podcast. So, everybody, number one, Nikki, bring us home. The Breakfast Club. Really? It's my huh. number one movie. I watch it every fucking time it's on TV. It drives my mom crazy. I can quote almost every word. Um, I do Does Barry Manilow know you raid his <laughs> group? <laughs> I said, bully, get the horns. Um, yeah, I, I'm obsessed. So, that is my favorite. I, I watched it. I was probably a little older. I was probably like 16, around there. Um, but the right I, time to watch the, it. The right time. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I, I just think those themes, while people like the Breakfast Club happened today, people would just be on their phones, blah blah blah. Um, I don't detention. Think, they won't allow you to do that. Well, that's what I'm saying. But yeah, I just don't think it. Uh, I don't think it aged 
out as well as much as some of the other John Hughes movies. Yeah, like, like, like some of them, right? Like pretty pagan weird science. Like yeah, they, they just didn't. And I like them, but they didn't work for me. Where Breakfast Club just really, really stuck with me. Yeah, I love Breakfast Club. Too. Yeah, and I saw it at the right time in high school, and I think and Bad Boy Crush started with John Bender. I'll tell you that. Actually, what, so much sense. I, I mean, I, hear about it. I know Emilio Estevez, be, uh, obviously, with Mighty Ducks Emilio and with some Estevez other stuff. Mighty and seeing Ducks. him as the football jock bully in this one, kind of like. I, but it's. Uh, I identify that moment where he breaks down of like the drive he has in himself. Yeah. Because I've texted you guys, like, guys, am I a perfectionist? And you. I don't think like thirty. Like, yes. Yeah, like within thirty <laughs> seconds, me saying both of you guys are like yes. Boom, boom, boom. I'm like, I'm like, well, fine. I'll just go fuck myself at that point. I wasn't saying you. You asked. Yeah, no. Yeah. But what I, were you expecting? I didn't expect nice to be cities. like. No, no, no. I didn't expect it to be like you guys would be like, like, well, yeah. I didn't thought it was gonna be like so definitely. You guys been like, oh, yeah. it seemed like you've been no sitting argue. on that for a while, and you've been no wanting, arguing it. We're like yes. And you've been wanting to say that for a long time, and so the we kind of first. Say it was an observation, and it got brought up, and we answered you. Yeah. yeah, and like the pressures he puts on himself, like I just, I can identify with that. And yeah. of course, like, um, like there's a little part of everybody, I think, in every one of those characters, even they, even a very minute detail. I think we're all a bit of a ba- basket case. Um, we all wish we could be like the popular person if we wanted to. We all can be brainy and such. Thinking back to to what you said, Nikki, I think this movie has held up the best out of all those movies. Yeah. Um, even Ferris Bueller is dated, and it's just something like that. This that won't fucking just happen. A, this is just a very basic. It's a very because and, this can happen in any high school yeah. anywhere. And, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. Any high school. I mean, some high schools even look at Sachem has like still 1970s, 1980s decor in their library. It's true. So yeah, and don't you forget about me. me. Great soundtrack. Don't. That actually came on. I was listening to like a, like a like an oldie station that came on, and I'm driving home Friday night. So I just had my hand out my window yeah. the entire ride home, I'm trying to make turns, negotiate that. I'm like, this is tough. Yeah. But uh, Dakota, I think I know you want to raid where you're I, your first. One I is. have said this multiple times, multiple multiple times, and it is still. It brings a smile to my face every time it's on on TV or whenever I pop it in. Raiders of the Lost Ark. By far, my favorite movie of all time. As much as I think that Phantasm, High Noon, and Empire Strikes Back are perfect to start, near perfect start to finish, I honestly do believe Raiders of the Lost Ark is perfect start to finish. There is nothing I can complain about. I mean, yes, once again, I could lovingly make fun of a lot of things, but it's all out of love. And, uh, but I, I, this movie, just this John Williams score in it is so epic. Um, the character is so, of the character is so memorable. And to be honest with you, I think this is Harrison Ford at his best because I think truly Harrison Ford. He's giving a shit. He's giving a shit because he truly is invested in the character of Indiana Jones because I feel like he actually feels like he is Indiana Jones. Yeah. He does crazy shit on, like in his normal life. I mean, he broke his leg because his plane crashed while he was delivering like fucking, uh, like supplies to refugees or yeah. something like that. So I mean, yeah, I, we everyone knows Raiders of the Lost Ark is my favorite, and I hold firm to that. I mean, popping on a DVD, I will quote it. I will. He's good. Yeah, he's very very good. <laughs> Belloc, Belloc. Uh, I, I mean, 
there's a video I got sh- I got send you guys. It's like the Spielberg hook and like what he does with the action sequences and why it makes things memorable. Like how he like this he he's great creating beats in the action dude. Mm. Especially like the like the the example he uses um, the the video essay person's like the train the uh, tank sequence and he says like there's 14 major beats that happen in that sequence. Yeah, and it's like every like 48 seconds a major beat happens there, and. I, and same thing, I, I think is wonderful. I, I Crusade is my favorite of that, but I well, think the best, the innovation was made with Raiders. Yeah, but like I said in Star Wars, uh, Empire Strikes Back, how I will fight to the nail to prove that Star Wars Empire Strikes Back is the best of that series. I don't have a problem with people saying that um, that Temple of Doom is their favorite or Crusade is their favorite because there's something great about every single one of them. Yes, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, I am a defender of, but I know it's... No one's favorite. No. Um, but I understand where Crusades come from. But Raiders, for me, is there's no, you can't go wrong with that. And I even love like the fact that like the even the fist fight outside like the giant wing is very simple, but oh, so, so effective, so great. It's yeah. So it's fun, and you know the risks. Yeah. And especially with the cascos, it's like oh, oh yeah. Shit. And, and then the truck chase afterwards. And he gets shot in the arm. He's getting punched oh, in the wound. Yeah, but thrown out the window. And he crawls back over the truck just to get back in the cab. Oh, my God. Yeah. <sighs> I, I can't hate you for that. And so we've what? reached... What? Yeah, so, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. So we've reached my number one. Oh, honorable mentions. Do you want us to do it before you do number one? Yes. Okay. Go ahead, Nikki. <laughs> Free Willy. Newsies. Sister Act 1 and 2. <laughs> Me being St. Louis, Citizen Kane, uh, Psycho, then Edward Citizen, Beetlejuice, Sleepy Hollow, and then Breathless. I have a list longer. My honor mentions it's now longer than my top 15. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> the Enemy Below, The Great Escape, The Matrix, Heaven Knows Mr. Allison, Saving Private Ryan, Goodwill Hunting, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, The Book Thief, The King's Speech, Scent of a Woman, Castaway, Goon, The Edge, Halloween, Princess Mononoke, and My Cousin Vinny. Nice. Uh, my honorable mentions, um, Wizard of Oz, uh, Batman Begins, uh, The Seven Samurai, because I, yeah, I felt really bad one. keeping Akira Kurosawa on oh, my list. It true. fucking hurt me. Um, Bride of Frankenstein. That hurt to keep me. That was used to be in my top ten, but I was like, oh, it kept, it kept falling further and further away. Uh, Willie Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. That's my favorite musical. Willie or Charlie? Willie. Sorry. That's the original. That's not the original. No. The, the book is called Charlie and Chocolate Factory, but the first adaptation with Gene Wilder is Willie Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Is it? Oh, yeah. I'm just kidding. I had it back. Yeah, I thought. Yeah, I it's thought the nice. giant Depp one was Charlie and the Chocolate yeah, yeah, Factory. Yeah, yeah. The, the ironic thing is that Willie Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is more about Charlie, and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is more about Willie. Make it that what you will. Um, I like both. Yes. <laughs> what else? Um, I should have written down my honorable mentions. Uh, uh, Caddyshack, Airplane. 
Oh, I forgot. Damn it, Airplane. Uh, Blues Brothers. Were I you there a- when we tapped uh, Sand City's beer, uh, IMIPA, Don't Call Me Shirley? <laughs> no. They have both. They're like, Shirley, you're not IPA. I picked a bad day to stop sniffing IPA. <laughs> yeah, they, they're big fans over there. What can you make of this? This? I can, I can make, make a hat, hat, a brooch, a flying pterodactyl. <laughs> the shit's really going to hit the fan out of there. How about some coffee? No, no thanks. thanks. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Conjuring. Uh, there's so many more. I, I mean, I, I've made a li- I made a top 100 movie Actually, list. I'm surprised that Insidious or and The Conjuring didn't make your list. If it was like top 25, it might have been. Conjuring we definitely would have been because I'm a huge James Wan fan. But I have not said my number one yet <gasps> because we've gone 99 episodes and I made this pact with myself that it will. Episode 100 would be the review of my favorite movie of all time. So, what? before I sign off, I want to say thank you to you guys for <laughs> being here so much and being a big part of the show. Thanks. Thanks, Tim. Thanks glad, for having us. Glad to be here at the big 9-9. Yes, and you're going to be here at 100 as well. Yeah, even the even <laughs> bigger Wayne's World, zero, zero. Zero. Wayne's World will also be like on my list as well. People say I don't like comedies. Um, Scissor Kane also would be on there. That's and Andrew's if you make a list, Citizen Kane, I haven't seen it personally, but everyone like everyone says Citizen Kane is automatically excluded from that list because how can you fucking beat Citizen Kane? Well, um, well, the the thing is, most of it with Citizen Kane is not the movie itself; it's the aura. Old, yeah, it's everything that went into the movie. It's the time it was released and all of that. So the, there's a lot to Citizen Kane that has nothing to actually do with. Citizen and as the Kane. scholars that. It's the it scholars. Up. It's the scholars too. It's a part of filmmaking is like you have to. Part of you have to like Citizen Kane. It's just like okay. they go hand. It's like the first time I saw it, I went into it with the notion like, oh, it's often considered the greatest movie of all time. I saw it, I went, oh, it's okay. The second time I watched it, I just watched it as a movie and it clicked for me. Okay, and I find it to be marvelous. Yeah. Okay. Set uh-huh. design, just, it was just a gorgeous, gorgeous Charles Foster Kane as he's tossing everything around. Yeah. And so, before we sign off, because I'm giving you a little tease, come back for episode 100 as we review my favorite movie of all time. So, Dakota, where can they find you on social media? Uh, you can find me at, uh, where can you find me? DW- you can find me at the club. You can find me at the club. Luna! That's, That's 50 cents. Motherfucker. <laughs> It's time. Tim tired. is not white. We how many hours have we been fucking <laughs> three and a half? <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> we went. To that. Oh boy. <sighs> anyway, where can they find you? DWDrawings.dvnart.com. Uh, you can also find me at uh, DW Pepe Art uh, on Instagram. That is my public account, and then Dakota uh, Dweegan ninety one is my private Instagram. So don't be offended if I don't say you can follow me on that one. Follow me on my art Instagram. It's funny because you went to say your Instagram wrong, and I was about to correct you. <laughs> like, Dakota, that's not your Instagram. <laughs> and I'm Nikki. You could follow me at Nikki Muggle One on Instagram. I'm available on Facebook, Nikki Muggle, um, or Snapchat, Nikki Muggle One, because I'm not creative. If you want to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at Timothy Rooney Two. My Instagram at TRooney1012. Um, Obviously, follow this podcast. Leave a five-star written review on iTunes. It really helps get the word out there. You can listen to my other podcast, Please Rewind, part of the Real Fans for Real Movies podcast network. Uh, well, by the time, well, 
is recordings in the past or the future. Like I don't know what episodes will be out, but we have several episodes out. That I hope you'll enjoy. Uh, you listen to my. Uh, you obviously go, go to my YouTube page, Two Lens Productions, where all my short films that uh, that a lot of them had the collaboration between uh, the three of us. So. I want to say thanks, guys. We've made it to one, uh, 99 episodes. Come back when we hit 100, and the milestone continues.